0: Okay, welcome to episode five of Dimensional Cascade. Who thought we'd get this far? Uh, We have a slightly different lineup this week. Um, Stepping in for Taylor, we have a very special guest, Paul, who has just arrived in Seattle. Hello. Welcome to Paul. And uh, with me, as usual, I have... Ricky. Tom. And no Taylor. In case that wasn't clear. Um, (laughs) So uh, Paul is here for one specific purpose um, that we will get to later. But uh, he's also agreed to join us for the rest of the podcast. So we're just going to throw him into the mix and, <laughs> and hopefully he can survive. Um, in fact, speaking of survival, why don't we run right into run right into the ball? Well, I guess I should give an overview first of what we're going to be talking about. Yeah. I I'm, like, I'm so anxious yeah. for this pit fight. I they'll want to see yeah, yeah. Okay. So so today uh, we're going to have a, uh, our pit fight, our pit challenger um, trying to take on Belagar, is going to be Checkx. Uh, who is a special character from the Lizardman book. Um, We'll go into him a bit when we get there. Uh, Then we've got a brief news and rumors section. We're going to be talking about some Kickstarters that are going on. Uh, Then in our tournaments, we're going to cover off on the Sparkle Party um, tournament pack. And we're also going to talk a bit about the U.S. Masters. Uh, And in Hobby Horse, we'll be talking about making buildings uh, from molds and from scratch. And then our art of war is going to be discussing math hammer. So, um, all of that being said, can we get to the pit now? Can we, can we,
1: let's do the pit. I all think right. so. All right, there we go. The pit, the
2: pit, the pit.
0: Jack X is the eldest of the ancient city's temple guard. He has never yielded in his task and has butchered whole regiments of foes, that have dared attempt to kill his charges. Each sweep of his heavy starstone mace leaves a trail of devastation in its wake.
1: Sounds kind of like a pussy to me. Whatever, bellegar <laughs> Bring it on.
0: <laughs> bellegar's not getting a fluff reading. I'm, no. I'm fed up listening to him.
1: Yeah. 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 What, yeah. what about just an introduction? Oh, sorry. No.
0: All right. All right. You can give him an introduction.
1: <laughs> Introducing! Again? Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> the reigning defending Boom. undisputed champion of the pit Boom. the true king of Karakate Peaks <laughs> he is the Thane of Pain <laughs> Girl, Iron
0: Ironhammer <laughs> the Thane of Pain did you think about that all week
1: uh, I thought about it yesterday, <laughs> which after I ad-libbed the Ratster of
3: Disaster, for, uh, <laughs> yeah. for the creek, I had to come up with something for Balagard. Yeah. For That's great.
0: So to introduce Jack Axe a little bit uh, more fully, for those of you who aren't familiar with him, he's, he's, not, uh, he's not very commonly taken. Um, I mean, I haven't seen him on the battlefield myself um but he seems like
1: he's beautifully designed for challenges
0: he he's designed to protect your slant Mm. um so he goes generally uh, his special rules so he's got the normal cold-blooded special rule that all lizard men have he's got the guardian special rule which is the same as what the temple guard have predatory fighter and scaly skin five plus again just like every soros so he has two special rules eternity warden uh, which is he must always issue a challenge, can never refuse, and when fighting in a challenge, he rerolls all failed rolls to hit. And ultimate bodyguard, which means uh, whenever he's part of a combined unit that has the mage, priest, um, palanquin in it, um, and temple guard, all models in the combined unit gain the unbreakable special rule. So that's really cool in a game, not so cool in the in the pit, unfortunately. So for his magic items, he's got the starstone mace. Um, which is a a great weapon, effectively. Um, And at the start of close combat, uh, any enemy models in base contact have to reveal their magic items. And if he manages to hit on a 5-up, he'll randomly destroy one of those items. Um, And then he's got uh, magic armor, the helm of the Prime Guardian. Uh, This is no use, again, in the pit, but um, it's kind of cool in a battle. Uh, His armor saves one higher. Uh, enemy units with the scout special rule may not use their special deployment to set up within 20 inches of check-ax. Um And anything that has a hidden model like assassins, night goblins, fanatics, etc. as soon as they're within 20 inches, you have to declare that those models are in that, uh, in that unit. And his final one is uh, the key to the eternity chamber, which gives him a five-up ward, and his opponent then gains always strikes last. So if he can survive... The first round against Belgarath from the Hammer of Angrum. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he has a pretty good chance, I think. All
4: right. So, especially if he breaks the uh, ward save. If is... he can
0: break the ward save, that yeah. or even the plus one to wound, sure. uh, that'll keep him alive for longer. Yeah. And it's every turn, so he could he could end up just chipping away all of his magic items before he kills him.
1: No chance. Belgarath is going to strike him down in one. Turn. Okay.
0: Okay. So we've got the guy set up twenty four inches apart here, um, which is a little bigger than we had before. So that we can, uh, you know, make use for, for wizards and, and uh, shooty types. Because, you know, wood elves are going to get a new book soon. Honest. <laughs> um, anyway. Okay. So so let's roll off for first turn. Roll off for first turn. Paul is rolling for check X. Gets a Four. Tom gets a six. All right, okay. I, I'm going to
2: start using these dwarven <laughs> dice because I just have a feeling that these purple ones aren't going to do anything for me. So. All right, so 24. <laughs> <laughs> they, are, they
0: are Taylor's demon dice. So. 24 inches apart. So
1: is up first 24 inches apart. Bellegar's going to march his full six inches to end up 18 inches apart. Sorry. (laughs) His mighty (laughs) six inch (laughs) march. All
0: right. Hey, three inches is a lot to a dwarf. (laughs) (laughs) (gasps) (laughs) (laughs) Okay.
2: All right. I'm just going to meander up another. Seven right here, so that what that's that's uh, eleven inches? inches. Yeah. I think that should be good. Eleven inches, that means I need an eight to make
1: the charge. Mm. Mm. Math hammer would suggest. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Probably not gonna make it, but I gotta go for it anyway, because I have a a slight disadvantage in terms of move, so we gotta go for it. Alright, so Ah, ah, it's a five. Okay. I roll a five. My highest dice is a four, so I'm gonna move forward four inches.
2: Okay. Wait, wait, isn't Which it the, the lowest, though, right? Oh, no, it's no, the, oh, highest, highest, the highest. Yeah. Right. So we're seven inches apart now, okay. I assume. Well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so anything but snake eyes. Ooh! <laughs> <laughs> Rolls a three, just about makes it so. close combat. <laughs> All right. So we're in combat. All right. Okay. So. Phew! Yeah, yeah that was I close. Was <laughs> close. <There we> go. <laughs> I was getting worried for a <laughs> moment.
0: Ricky was like, really sweating. Panic. <laughs> really yeah. panicked yeah. there for a minute. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, you have to issue a challenge, Shagax.
2: All right, I challenge you. I you
0: accept, and I have to reveal use.
1: all of my magic items, which is the Hammer of Angrund, mm. and the Shield of Defiance. All right. The Shield of Spanking. So, oh, thank you. Uh, gives me aura strikes last. I had aura strikes first, so we're just going to strike an initiative order, which yep. is Belagar first. All right. He's going to use his, what? what's the rule called? Revenge Incarnate. Revenge, Revenge Incarnate to double his attacks. Brings me up to eight attacks in this first turn. Okay, so he's hitting on threes, and we got two misses there. Two misses. I'm going to re-roll those because I hate Shakax, given that he's the The only, general, the, the only, the only character characters. in the army. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Oh, all, all eight right. hits.
2: All eight hits. He is spot on. Spot right.
1: on. So he's, but with strength four, plus Strength four plus one to wound from the <laughs> so hammer, force Oh, that's that's good for Check X. Yep. Only true. three wounds. Only three.
0: That's All sorry. right, so you have a three up armor save, which so. gets to four up,
2: mm-hmm. that followed by five up war. All right, so. Makes one. Makes one. one. So I just got, well, I'm not going to jinx it.
3: Oh, oh no! no! <laughs> Should have
0: jinxed it. Should have uh, jinxed it. Oh, well, well. Check well. X dies. <laughs> check X
1: goes down, <laughs> and Belagar reigns supreme. <laughs> That's okay. been, uh,
0: yeah. who can rid us of this turbulent dwarf uh, well so up next we have uh, I'm just going to reach down and get the model here um, we have Sigvald. our first guest model that was painted by uh, Byron so um, props to him for bringing this over this is uh, Sigvald I don't know does he have a last name
1: the Magnificent the
0: Magnificent. Yeah. <laughs> yes. um, the so, Magnificent hair Warriors of Chaos um, Slan Ash character uh, very nicely painted and uh, with a, a converted base here showing the earth moving away from him as he walks because uh, of one of his special rules. But we'll get to him next week, and he he is going to try and defeat the mighty <coughs> Belagar.
1: In vain. Mm.
2: News and rumors.
0: Okay, so we only have uh, two Kickstarters to talk about in our news items. Um, so the first one that I wanted to mention is uh, Mears miniatures so mirs um, for those of you I think we've talked a little bit about Mears before um they're they're a British company they're kind of well known for making uh alternative monstrous infantry type miniatures um they have a a new Kickstarter going uh that has a bunch of uh new miniatures for the different factions that they've got um some are kind of humanoid. Some are are definitely lizard man like, you know. Definitely uh, look like they would fit as Croxagore
1: or or similar. Um, there's so is this uh, Kickstarter kind of aimed at getting the the game really up and running? Because they've had miniatures out for a while, but I know they're trying to get the Darklands game. Yeah, going. it's definitely
0: for their Darklands game. And um, I think each of the eight factions that they have in the Darklands are all getting new units. It's and it's it looks like it's all of the grunt models right so the 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 sort of the non non champion non standard bearer mm-hmm. type Just stuff the rank and file the rank stuff and, and file stuff so there's uh like like uh werewolf looking thing there's
1: a lot of really cool looking models and um, have you watched the video about the the gameplay for that game i actually haven't uh have you watched it Is yeah it i good? did watch it it seems i mean it's different definitely it looked kind of fun i don't know how it's going to work out it's kind of um
0: it's like a monstrous infantry skirmish game, right?
1: Yeah, and you do everything on a kind of model-by-model model basis. So I would take a turn with one of my models, and you respond with a turn from one of your models, kind of like chess almost, hmm. oh, rather huh. than taking a turn with your entire army at once. Oh,
0: interesting, interesting. Um, so I mean, the models themselves, uh, the sculpts from Mears from are very pretty. I really like the quality and the detail of their models. They're pricey um, for sure, right? So they're about... Yes. Thirty bucks a model, uh, somewhere around there. I think. I think for like a monstrous infantry for a monstrous around infantry thirty infantry bucks, model, yeah. maybe so,
1: twenty bucks for an infantry.
0: Yeah. Um, so, so by all means, check them out. Uh, just go to Kickstarter and search for Mears or search for Darklands, and uh, and you'll find the models no problem. Uh, and the second uh, Kickstarter we want to talk to uh, talk about is one that um, Paul brought brought to our attention is a um, one for the Empire. Ooh. So, yeah, there's a company that is, I think they're a Spanish company. Yeah, I believe so. Um, that are are kicking off um, some really beautiful empire alternatives. Um, the nice thing is, you know, they're, they're historical type miniatures, but they're made to to uh, heroic scale. Um, Tom <laughs> hasn't seen these yet, I so, so them, I'll just I'll turn them around cool, and show yeah. some of the... Some of the models here—they're mm. um, very much. I—I I feel like they're a little less. Um, f- oh, foofy. They have ha- the, uh, exactly.
1: They have the look that I wish Empire had, like yeah. kind of grim, determined men rather than the big frilly. Well, actually, I think
2: uh, the the big difference is, is that uh, Empire for Games Workshop is more based on like, dramatic. Exactly. Right. Well, this the is Holy more. Empire exactly, kind of. and this is more based along like conquistador type mm. style. Yeah. Sure. Very sleek, very uh, yeah. sharp.
0: Exactly, and um. A uh, very nice balance between like the 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 armor and the and the quilted uh, um, clothing and stuff on them. I mean, they're just beautiful models. Um, they have a very high target that they're just uh, um, getting started with right now.
1: What's the target?
0: 70, 75000 um, dollars. You
1: know, I'm always surprised by how. Much support there is for yeah, and I think they'll get it. I think they'll get it. Yeah. Um,
0: they've got some stretch goals. One of them looks like uh looks like it might be a Griffin Rider or some sort as one of their stretch goals. Uh, and then they've got like a an, a War Priest and various other things. So they're obviously targeting the Warhammer market. Sure, um, but the models themselves are uh, look exciting. So
2: and they do, and they actually, uh, if you look at the uh, the rewards that you get. I believe uh, putting down uh, what is it a hundred dollars for the the first one where you actually get models or whatnot. Um, I think it's only seventy bucks. Oh, it's only seventy dollars. Yeah. Well, uh, the basic troops that you get, like you get for the, the little swordsman, I think you get fifteen or something, and um, and when it comes out, you get three different units. So I, really, I feel like that's very comparable to what Games Workshop mm-hmm. like f- as far as prices goes, and given the amount of detail and just how unique it would be in the army, it's. Uh, sure. It would be very uh, a good investment, at least maybe for some showcase models or um, yeah, champions or, or, or whatnot, or
0: even you know just a special unit from another part of the
1: empire
2: right, or whatever right. it
0: is you wanted to do. Would
1: they are they going to have enough stuff to kind of fill every niche in the army, or would you need to mix and match with with GW stuff? Uh,
0: so some, they've, they've got sword and board that I can see here, great swords. Looks like they've got unlocks for. Uh, halberdiers, any outriders, Spearmen, outriders, uh, oh, rifle, uh, pistoliers is that what they're called? Uh, yes, yeah. yes, yeah. Um, so yeah, they, uh, they've they got cannon, uh, just about like,
2: everything except for the demigriffs and the steam mm-hmm. tank, I think.
0: Yeah, I don't think they didn't see any heavy cavalry. Uh, well, maybe that's heavy cavalry. Yeah, there, I think yeah. there was one, at one least with something
2: ca- with a lance or whatnot.
0: Yeah, so so yeah, you I could know, theoretically cool, do the yeah. whole army. Um, so that's neat. Um, so if you're interested in that one, uh, it's nice and easy. Just go to Kickstarter, search for The Empire, and you'll find it. <laughs> That's what um, it's called. It's, it's by Empire. Haste Games, mm-hmm. as in to make haste. So you can uh, if you can't find it through The Empire, you can find mm-hmm. it from Haste Games.
2: The Tournament Zone.
0: So, Sparkle Party Deathmatch 3 is almost upon us, Yeah, It's on the horizon. Yeah, 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 yeah. All yeah. right, so we've, what, three weeks to
2: go?
4: Uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. three about, weeks. pretty much right about three I'm weeks.
0: excited. I haven't even written my list yet. We've got to have a pay this weekend to get ready. You do? Yeah. Oh, cool. So you'll get, what, three more models done? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Open! <laughs> it's it's sh- funny, because it's bird. true. Mm. Yeah. yeah. So, so we got the uh, tournament pack in the mail, Um this uh, at this weekend uh, do you yeah. want you want to go through some of the the interesting a points here big surprises pack? in
1: there yeah
4: um yeah, let's see here all right, so uh the packet first starts off with just kind of the particulars of uh, well the front page has the poster, which tells you the date, which of course is the thirteenth, so like we said, just a few weeks away um
0: ten a m not any sooner because Card Kingdom doesn't open any sooner yeah. As I discovered last time, Hell. I tried to get there nice and early.
4: Yeah, um, but do try and be there as close to ten as you can. I want people to be there no later than ten thirty. At about ten fifty-five, if you're not there and um, there is somebody on the wait list, I'm going to give your spot away because I I want to. That gives them time to get on the table so that the the matchup can start right at uh, at eleven. Um. So then I in there I talk about uh, the fact that everybody gets the free giant um, and a reminder for people who bring your giant if you're bringing an older model that's on the 50x50 50 50, I'm going to have some little cards there that we can just sticky tack your base on so you don't need to worry about rebasing it. Um, the other thing I, I put in there is um, army selection. Uh, from This is going to be the new sparkle party standard for army selection. Um, in the past, it was kind of open. I, You know, I let you have any of the main GW rule books um, with no comp in that, and we could also do Tom Ken, you know, for the Chaos Dwarves. Um, but I did some reading on the – is it the OFCC or – Yep, Order Fanaticus. Yeah, yeah, those guys. Um, They're
0: down in uh, Portland? Or? Yeah,
4: so I was I was reading one of their uh, tournament packs, and, and I loved it. I love – Because what they do is they allow you to take basically anything that GW denotes as an official rule, which could be anything from a white dwarf, anything from um, a battle scroll, a storm of magic. Anything Forge World? uh, Forge World, Monstrous Arcanum. Yeah, anything Forge World like my Squigabas and... Ryan Knox writers. You know those those are things that if somebody had in their list, I probably was gonna let them play with anyways. But I'm I'm actually putting it on paper this time. So if uh, if people want to start bringing sorceress packs and all those crazy weird things, um, do it. You know you're now I to now it. I have to order uh, a copy of Storm of Magic. Yeah. So um, <laughs> uh, I'm gonna try and go uh, for Sparkle Party in the future. What you can expect to do is if you have a model you love. Bring it. If there's something you want to play, bring it. Yeah. Um, it's it's going to be a completely no comp environment. Um, I hope people don't abuse it. I don't think they will. Our community seems pretty focused on trying to have. I don't think people a... will either, but no. it could be abused. Yeah. obviously. Yeah, and we'll just have to boo those people when they go up to the podium. You could make an army okay. that's just
1: like three Carmine dragons. <laughs> Quick, give people ideas, Tom. Um, you know, what, <laughs> if, somebody, if
0: somebody took three Carmine dragons and painted and modeled them, yeah, and and took them. They're going to get shot by a cannon, just like everything else.
1: Yeah, they have like nine wounds or something. Two yeah. cannons.
4: <laughs> 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 More cannons. Alex will just cannon them off. That's He's right, cannoning everybody. <laughs> sure. um, Alex and his
0: five cannon rollers. Yeah. yeah
4: so, uh, one thing that I will say about that, though, uh, uh, to Tom's point, if uh, if you are taking a bunch of those models, I will expect those models to be the actual models um, or real. You know, you can scratch build or whatever you want to do, conversions. But, some but they got to look the part. They yeah. must truly accurately represent it. If you're going to take a flying Kadai, then I expect to see wings on your Kadai, or oh. else you won't be able to use the fly rule. Yeah,
0: so, I mean, that's that's the same. That That's no different from the rest of the yeah. wizard rule that already applies, right?
4: That is true, but I'm a little more flexible with um, what's in your core book. If people say, oh, I need just an infantry model to represent something infantry in my... fair. fair. As long as they're... You know, clear with their opponent. I'm gonna let them do that because I know most people can't afford to mm-hmm. go out and buy new models. Okay, um, so terrain is gonna be preset. That's usually gonna be um, kind of standard for my tournaments because I, I I like I think it cuts um, into the game time too much to have people try and do terrain. Um, I want you guys to just get to rolling dice. Um, <laughs> uh, the painting contest. I want to go over that. Um, uh, this was. Aiden's creation, where we start doing uh, just an open painting contest. Anybody can participate in this, anybody listening to the podcast, anybody who's a friend of a friend can bring in a model. This time the contest is themed with the Sparkle Giant. So if you bring in um, a giant model um, uh, that you have painted yourself and you want to put it in the contest, you're welcome to do that. You don't have to play in the tournament. There's no entry fee to get your giant into the contest. And you could potentially win a $50 prize. So um, Mm. everybody in the community who likes to paint, uh, come on in and hang out with us and do that. Um, I go over the the awards. They're going to be kind of the same. There's going to be Best Overall, Sportsmanship again, uh, Best Painted, Best General. Um, There's also the Random Raffle again. Um, Let's see, what else do we have? Uh, Oh, so the the scoring this tournament, like I said, they're... um, there's the sparkle giant carnage points which inflate the battle points cuz those it. those are technically battle points cuz you're earning them through battle mm-hmm. um so that kind of inflated the points overall throughout the tournament um so as part of that I removed the cap on painting and I also had wanted to redo the painting scores a little bit um and I have done that so now there's going to be a possible 40 mm-hmm. paint points um there's going to be 75 base battle points which are using the 20 nil plus 5 points for scenarios in uh, scenario points in each game and then sportsmanship is going to be another 15 points and then the sparkle carnage is going to be another 15 points so you're looking at a total of 145 possible points. That so how do you get add. your
1: Sparkle Carnage points? You get so, a certain this, number of them per this is what how he was, many attacks you've done. Yeah. This is what he was
0: saying in, in one of the earlier episodes mm-hmm. about uh, mark off all the different types of attacks. Sure. Yeah, well, let's yeah. go
4: into that right now and I'll, I'll tell you But I'm wondering you if you need to
1: get all the attacks to get all 15 points or so if it's like yes. staggered.
4: Yeah, yeah. So, um, so players, I'm going to give you all a sheet when you show mm-hmm. up. I'm also going to give you the free Giant Falls template. So everybody who shows up that day, um, even people on the wait list, if you don't get to play, you're going to get at least that free template. Woo. Because I'm assuming you probably painted a giant. So you should at least have a template to use for the giant, right? So show up for the day and hang out with us. Um, but what it's going to be, this on the, in the packet here you can actually see the the Sparkle Carnage scoring. Um, so there's the big things chart, which has three separate attacks. Um, Yellen Ball, Thump of Club, Ed Butt. So that's if you're fighting other big stuff. Um, every time you get one of the giant's special attacks, you'll make a mark on the on the... Well, the first time you get that attack, you make a mark on your scorecard. And you're trying to collect all 15 unique things that the giant can do. If you're able to do that throughout the tournament, you're going to get all 15 of those points. So that's equivalent to getting all five scenario Mm. points Mm -hmm. from all three of the games. So people could choose to ignore the scenarios and just try and throw their giants into combat and collect as many of these as they can. Sounds like fun. Yeah, Mm -hmm. so... That's definitely an option. Why not do both? Especially <laughs> when he has a, a flying cloak on him in the last yeah. game, and you yeah. like <laughs> pinging him at people.
0: You definitely get the fall over one at that yeah, point. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. yeah, for sure.
4: Yeah, that you're gu- guaranteed to get your fall over if I'm you haven't gotten ping it my already. my dragon all around yeah. the field. So, uh, so, again, there's three things, that, three points to be earned off the big things chart. So, if you want to fight Sparkle Giant to Sparkle Giant, you can probably get those pretty easily. Um, man-sized or smaller things is where you actually start to. Um, rack up points. Mm, so throw, you
1: can do different things with people after you've picked them up.
4: Yeah, so pick up and gives you six actual different mm. points um in there. So you could do yell and ball again, jump up and down, pick up and stuff into sack, pick up and throw into combat, pick up and hurl, pick up and squash, eat, pick up another, <sighs> or you could just do swing with club. So you can actually get um nine points in man sized stuff. So it's actually more beneficial to get your giant mm. in Smashing all those infantry units, yeah. right? Okay. And especially ones with the characters, so you can actually pick up pick and them up. stuff them into your... Make it interesting. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, then there's also falls over. Um, that's kind of an a thing that just happens with giants. Remember, if you fall over, the wound that you take from falling over um, is... Um, can be saved. Can be saved with the sparkle ward save, so you're not gonna always take that wound, okay? But if um you'll get a point if you fall over and wound your enemy at some point during the day, and you'll get a point if you fall over and wound one of your own models. I at wish some I could take more of the life mm. to keep
1: my giant alive while he does all this
3: stuff. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now,
4: now you can't you don't get the point if you fall over and wound a giant. Only if you fall over And use the template to hit one of your own models. Sure. So, but if you're stacking your giant into a combat that's already happening, that's possible. That's very possible. You also, the last thing you can get a point for with the giant is if you charge and you make somebody panic with the terror special rule, okay? Mm -hmm. Which is also very probably easy to do in that third scenario with that. Yeah, charge them with some chaff. Yeah. Yeah. So,
0: so the thing that I really like about the giant points is that. There is no penalty for your opponent scoring them on you, right? It's not like you're more or less likely to win the, the battle. They don't. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So so to me, that really encourages the the fun, the shenanigans aspect of it all. It's like... When when people's giants fall over, sure. everybody's going to be excited to see what happens. Because you're not right? like, how do I stop right. this
1: person's giant from doing this? Yeah. Well, you are trying to stop. Well, them you're from, like,
4: picking wrecking the your army <laughs> too much. But
0: but uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, you're sure. going to be able to celebrate other people's successes nice and easily, which is good.
4: Yeah, I think, and and also we're going to be. Uh, yeah, I, I like I like giving people something to celebrate that's bad. Um, So so we're also going to be doing the dimensional dimensional cascade. Yeah, yeah. So we're going to have the dimensional cascade templates again. I'm going to have six more of those made. So the first two people in in each round that get a dimensional cascade will get the free template, unless they've already got one. <laughs> then, mm. then I'm gonna l- hold it out for somebody else, and then at the end of the day, it will give out. It's
0: a very exclusive item. There's only a few people have them. An elite yeah. few. And, I don't yeah, have one. Yeah. I haven't you're, earned you're, one. Yet. You haven't earned one, and you're on the podcast. <laughs> yeah,
4: you're, too, uh, you're too. stingy with your dice. I'm pretty stingy with right. my yeah, dice. Yeah. I play the math hammer and uh, yeah. throw the minimum number. <laughs> um, I, I'm not gonna go into paint scoring today. Um, it, it has been reworked. It's in the pack. If you if you haven't seen it, it's also on the forum. Jump on the forum. You can read it there. Um, I think I posted it on there, didn't I? Yeah, yeah I think you did.
0: Yeah. I think that would be a good one to do after yeah, after the tournament. We'll
4: talk about that later. Um, yeah. But uh, just so you all know, I'm sure all of you have seen photos of my army. It, the 40 points, it seems pretty high, but even my army wouldn't score 40 points. So don't, don't get locked into thinking that people are going to max out on 40 points. I actually think 40 points… Um,
0: it's close on unattainable.
4: It, it really is. It's close to close to impossible unless the only, the thing that I fall short on is my movement trays. Because again, I I feel like movement trays. I like mine minimal, but people who take the time to make their fancy movement trays, I'm gonna give you points for that. Yep. So I fall short on min. I'm I would be uh, probably four points short on movement trays. Yep. So wow. I the most I could probably get is about thirty six. So.
0: Yeah. I worked out that I probably get about thirty three or thirty four. Yeah. So I'm I maxed out on the last one. So I like that there's opportunity for me to improve if I, if I want to do that.
4: Okay. So. Um. So yeah. So uh, open up your packet. Check out the Sparkle Carnage. Um. Go over the paint scoring. Go over the army comp because that that'll help you figure out. Um. If you have any last minute ideas you want to try and get in, it'll tell you what's legal. <laughs> and um, you uh, the three scenarios are also in there, and you can go over them. And if you have any questions, jump on the forum. Uh, let us know on the forum, or you can email me, and we'll, we'll answer those. guess papers. I'll go
1: home and start trying to attach wings to my Kodai destroyer. <laughs> <laughs> <What a> jerk. <laughs> All right.
0: right. Hmm. Feather Faux Torque. Uh, so <laughs> so the next uh, tournament we want to talk about is uh, the U.S. Masters. So we The big it, leagues. Yeah. Mm. We, we almost talked about this. We actually did talk about this uh, at some length. In the infamous uh, re-roll episode, um, the first time that we recorded... Prior playing, to re-rolling. <laughs> prior to re-rolling. On the first <laughs> roll, we talked about the U.S. Masters. So um, we decided um, to wait until now to talk about it, and this is the reason that Paul's here also. So the U.S. Masters, if you've been hiding under a rock or you don't pay attention to Warhammer on the Internet... Um, How are you listening to this podcast? Uh, (laughs) Was a tournament organized by uh, some folks uh, on the other side of the Mississippi uh, who decided, wouldn't it be great if uh, we had a a U.S. Masters Championship in the same way that the U.K. has a Masters, Australia, New Zealand? um, These these smaller countries Mm. um, also have their you know they they crown one. I mean Australia is not that small but it's population wise it's small. Population wise. Um tiny. Who who can tiny. crown a master and say you know this person for this year is the champion of Warhammer for the country. And so uh <clears> the <throat> the inaugural one was organized and um, it, it there was a bunch of qualifiers during um, the 2013. Um the country was divided up roughly into I think it was into five regions. Right. Um and the west coast from north to south was one region um you know which is what like two thousand plus miles from the canada to mexico yeah um and uh you know whereas on the east coast i think there were three regions on the east coast then the midwest and the south i think that was the five regions um and uh that was great there were 10 players from each region there was a 50 person tournament um it was done under swedish comp um and uh there was um i think it was held uh, just in in February there, and uh, the winner was a high elf player um, uh, with you know what looked like a fairly uh, mundane. I almost <laughs> want to say high elf list. Let's let's call it well balanced.
1: Yeah, mm. I mean when you think about the comp restrictions, yeah. it's probably pretty close to to
2: the most powerful. Yeah. Swedish comp can do some pretty crazy things when it, it comes to list building.
0: Yeah, so let's talk a little bit about Swedish comp. Um, I. I I imagine that most of our listeners are, are familiar with it, but just in case. Uh th- Swedes, man.
2: Mm. Everything
1: has to be fair.
0: <laughs> you know what? Uh, it's it's very hard <laughs> to knock a country that has a one hundred percent literacy rate. True. Um so, so Swedish comp uh, gives you—you you start off with three hundred points. Now I'm depressed. <laughs> <laughs> America sucks. <laughs> well, it, it helps that everyone in Sweden is Swedish. You know, it's not like here where you know we've got a huge melting pot of all these different cultures. Mm. That, that's the big difference. Anyway, back to the point. No more social political commentary. <laughs> uh, Swedish com- uh, Swedish comp gives you three hundred points. Um, you start with three hundred points. Everything that you put into your army. Uh, takes something away from those points. So, for example, taking a level four wizard is bound to take some points away from your 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 total. You go through, you you add in your units. There's a a formula for each army. Um, it it, it tells you, you know, if you take this unit, you lose five points. If you take two of this unit, you lose fifteen points.
1: Sure, and then it even breaks down. It breaks it down into how many models are in that unit. You how many models?
0: What even what lores you take on your sure. wizards can can affect. So the it.
1: overall kind of philosophy of that system is to um, combat negative playstyles, things like massed gun lines, all fast cav that can never be captured in combat, um, lots and lots of death magic, uh,
0: uh, repetitive models, right? You know where sure. you just go like. Uh, I've got six units, and they're all the same. Sure,
1: when there's one very strong choice in the army book, yep. and you just max it out.
0: Yep, exactly. Uh, and so, so I I totally understand it and appreciate it from that point of view. Um, it is a hard comp system, which means once you've once you've finished. Uh, with it, you, you know exactly where you stand in terms of your army and, and, and generally, so just to finish off the math part mm. of it, uh, you get to some number after you've subtracted everything from your 300. It's usually some number between zero and 200, um, and then you divide through by 10, and that's your Swedish comp score. Um, and then typically what happens is uh, in a 20 in nil kind of uh, battle system, uh, the difference between the comp scores of the two armies is is, is sometimes applied to that 20 nil score. So for example, and this this is the I think the way that the it was the compact was originally designed. Uh say for example, Tom with his Chaos Dwarfs has a comp of, of four, uh me with my wood elves I have a comp of ten. Uh that's a difference of six. So I would get plus six on my battle score and Tom would get negative six. I
1: thought the way it worked generally was if if our difference is six then you just start with 600 victory points in the game and we play our game that is another way that it works yeah
0: and it all depends on on the tournament organizer and how close they want the field to be Mm -hmm. um and uh, i believe in the in the um in the masters it was the way that i stated it okay
2: right right and they can also do other things too like it has to be between certain comp scores like Mm -hmm. either between an eight or and a twelve, or- and that's
0: pretty common. It's like uh, the middle of the pack yeah, to try set and a range yeah, thing. to try and avoid super light lists that might actually be very effective, but um, sure, but but also just max out on the possible. So you
1: end up you start with a thousand victory points, and then have yeah. an army that just hides and can't be caught. Right. Yep, not that I would all, ever all do glade that. <laughs> all glade riders. Right.
2: Well, actually a lot of times those uh, really light lists end up doing really poorly because they don't have the right tools to deal with a lot of different stuff. Yeah, sure. that's true. That's true. So but I think I think it's also to promote just generally like people going in the middle, that's usually where these armies best perform while still encouraging the use of right. units that don't normally get utilized. They may be very useful, but just once again because it seems
1: of, like most people aim for about a ten and right. then you can still get a pretty powerful army and you know, if you play somebody with a better comp score, you can presumably make that difference up in the game itself.
0: I think I think the main reason uh, that it was used for the U.S. Masters is because uh, you have no one common way that Warhammer is played across the country, right? We are extremely comp light on the West Coast. Um, they're pretty comp heavy on the East Coast, um, and is you that know true? That, the that East
4: Coast
1: GTs. Oh yeah, yeah it, it really is. Well yeah.
2: It's essentially required. Middle, yeah um,
1: Middle
4: America is really comp light though too
1: yeah, like,
0: and so it's the wild west man <laughs> i think uh I think the reason behind the comp choice is to uh to take away any um uh, any need for um the the sportsmanship that kind of goes when it's someone that you play with on a regular basis. Right, so if you look at the tournament scene here in Seattle, I mean, it's it's I think a small to medium sized community. We you know we play against each other every three months um, in the sparkle parties um, and and whatever else. Um, we we kind of self comp, right? Nobody sure. nobody comes along to to well, bring. Byron le- doesn't. Le- well, <laughs> yeah, but he never paints his okay. models, so that more than makes that fun. <laughs> um, so. Pirate. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm fine with Byron. I, the one time I played him in the tournament, I twenty nailed him, and I was playing Wood Elves. So, you know, you guys back off.
4: <laughs> You're just gonna keep rubbing that in. Uh? <laughs> well, he, 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 Byron's th- pissed right now.
0: He three dice to spell and dimensionally cascaded. So oh, what, can, what right. can I say?
4: And then you Amber speared him too, right? Oh, uh, I Amber speared
1: him as well. Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Nice. Anyway, okay. <laughs> anyway, sucks. For- former
0: glories aside. um I think I think the main reason was it even the playing field across all the different regions and and it, it it while there was a lot of debate about how to do the comp once the comp was in place um it, it is it is a rigid comp system and so therefore everybody knew what to expect going in
4: yeah um, it makes a lot of sense to for a national thing to do that
0: I yeah. I I think so I'm not generally a fan of comp but I can totally get it um, mm-hmm. I was kinda of saddened that even with the comp there were no wood elf arm- armies <laughs> yeah. and no beastman armies. No beastmen still. And uh I think there was another uh
1: there was another tomb army. Kings. That, there was no Tomb Kings, yeah.
0: Yeah. Um
1: yeah, you'd have thought under Swedish, you know, you can still probably bring the most competitive Wood Elf army oh, yeah. yes, available yes, at you a, could. a score of ten. My
0: my most competitive Wood Elf army uh, is a ten point four in Swedish.
1: Actually, my tournament winning Beastman list gets a pretty bad comp score because it's just full of Death Magic, mm. which ends up. It's because really you you you, me.
0: you spam those guys at their. I have the
4: Hearthstone and yeah. four yeah. wizards and just
1: spam Death Magic, so it ends up being a kind
4: of negative playstyle. I think my comp score I think you did the math for me, right, Aiden? It was pretty
0: low. It was it was pretty low, but it was not abysmally low. It was like a seven or something. Mm-hmm. So that so. is
1: the shortcoming of Swedish is kind of themed armies like Ricky's, which is all night goblins, end up with a bad score just because you have to take so many multiples of the same Well, yeah. and the, and the other side
0: of it is it's it's only uh the rule books, right? There's no expansions, no storm of magic, mm-hmm. the pre right, Swedish, right. right? There's no a monstrous arcanum it, it becomes very hard i think to to modify the game right you've made the game more rigid sure. by using swedish
1: i think my favorite way of seeing comp used <clears throat> which i wouldn't mind seeing in sparkle party actually is to just use the comp scores to set the initial matchups at the beginning of the tournament rather yeah. than random matchups take the two highest comp scores and and they're gonna play each other and so you can bring you can bring whatever you,
0: so you can want bring whatever but,
1: you want but you're going to be penalized by having a tougher initial matchup if and you I've bring se- a cheesy
3: list
2: and i've seen that used to a lot of success like the first two rounds in a in a five game tournament that you just face the people with the same comp score and then just go off uh be based off of battle points after that so
0: yeah and i think that's how the masters did the matchups for the first round i don't think mm. the second round was based on comp scores i know the first round was for sure um and so they tried to tie up like for like comp scores um so yeah that that uh that was great that was in uh, that was in february um i i'm blanking on the name of the winner now i think justin justin yeah but i can't remember his last name Bergie. Bergie. okay thank you i was I, like in my head all i could think of was bieber and i <laughs> <laughs> oh no yeah. 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 um uh, so yeah, so congratulations just so to justin um but uh, the really exciting part about U.S. Masters is uh, recent developments. Um, one of the problems with the Masters getting off the ground was uh, they set up these regions. And and the regions were kind of, once you were outside of the East Coast, the regions were very large. Um, and so uh, what they've introduced this year is um, uh, three new regions. Uh, there is now a Southeast region. Uh, which I'm guessing is is sort of Florida and the stuff that's near Florida. Uh, there's a mountain region which is like uh, uh, Nevada, Colorado, in and around that area, um, and then there is the Northwest region. Yay! Yay. So um, the Northwest region um, is is going to incorporate um, Idaho, Oregon, uh, Washington, and Alaska. From the United States nice. so those are those are the four states um, and what we're lobbying hard for is to include BC in there um, so we we definitely want to include BC um from a tournament standpoint and that's fine um, the question remains you know if it's the U.S. Masters are Canadians allowed to oh, <laughs> are Canadians yeah, allowed to be an uproar if a Canadian yeah. won
1: the U.S. Masters yeah. well
0: <laughs> so then the question is you know does it become a North American Masters um and Whatever else, right? Do the Canadians want to? Do they have their own masters? Do they want to run one? Who knows? Um, but we're gonna we're gonna see if we can figure that part out. So, so the reason that Paul is here, um, Paul and I are are kind of the official representatives for the Northwest region, um, and so between the two of us, um, we are we are going to be organizing um, how the Northwest region um, figures out the best way to send 10 people to the masters for 2015. So, um, we have all that worked out and I want to talk a bit about that, but Paul, do you want to maybe just, uh, one of the things that I haven't done yet is, is kind of got you to introduce yourself and, and, uh, like in the first episode we all talked about kind of our, our hobby history and all that Mm. sort of stuff. So, um, now's a good time for you to do that. And then we can talk about the masters a bit more.
2: Sure. Um all right, so real briefly about me. Uh I've been playing Warhammer since I believe 2008. Uh my first armies were Imperial Guard and Demon Hunters back with the I think 3rd edition codex, then yeah, maybe 4th. But um, Is he talking about that other game? Yeah, yeah the ground based yeah. game. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just Snooze. Over. Yeah, yeah. no.
0: Hammer. I keep forgetting that's called Warhammer, honestly. Sorry. Sorry. Now that we're I, I understand
2: the hate. I, I, I'm a convert. You got to understand. <laughs> right. you know, I have a, a dirty past. Dirty past that I try to. We're preaching to the converted. Yes, yeah. yes. Um, actually, I didn't act- start playing Warhammer till, um. Several years after. Actually, no. I think it was only one year after. It was when the High Elves came out first for 7th edition, and they just got the new Plastic Dragon, and that was Mm -hmm. all the hotness back then. I think also ASF was kind of a big deal. Yeah, because uh, they could use it on their great weapons, too. Right, right, right. And so, once again, more uproar. Um, (laughs) I actually started out with Wood Elves because... uh, Because they're cool. They they were cool. They still
0: are cool. They're just... Weak compared to other. Yeah.
2: Ones. Well, what I looked at first and foremost was what was going to be the easiest transition. And because 40K was so focused on shooting, what else <laughs> made a natural transition. Right. So lo and behold, I didn't realize boo, just boo, boo. Uh, how that shooting was just not exactly the same. Very much not. <laughs> but I really enjoyed the uh, the models just going and painting up the Dryads and the Wood Elves. I mean, even created a little backstory about how they came from the moon pools, and so that's why they had the blue and the green kind of uh, paint scheme or whatnot.
0: Everybody deep down wants to be a Wood Elf player. I've, I've pretty much accepted Just this. want to be one of the major. So. <laughs> Tom's like, no. <laughs> elf?
2: <laughs> what is this elf you speak of? And you know, So, Um But then so, I... Uh, oh i was gonna ask so what yeah. are you playing now yeah. well now i'm playing uh empire and it was only after playing a couple tournaments with wood elves that i was just really not happy with them i wanted to uh well i'll be honest i wanted to win some games <laughs> yeah i was still a relatively new player back then and i looked at um there's know, a steep
0: learning curve with
2: it, wood elves. it really is it really is and uh so i just want to have a little bit of an easier time and you know win some games and it also uh i had a uh, kind of almost a mentor uh aaron miller um also known as sherbert who was teaching me a lot about that and uh so he suggested maybe i might want to try empire cuz they have a great model range you know there's a lot uh, very versatile you can definitely do a lot of different builds with them and so uh i've really stuck with them since i i pretty much complete model range i've played Every uh, every little aspect of them, and uh, did you just,
1: did you discover that after doing your time with Wood Elves, you were suddenly an amazing Warhammer player? <laughs> <laughs> I, I wish don't I think you gave it long enough. <laughs> <laughs>
2: I wish I could have said that. I, I will say that just um, something that I really appreciate about that army is because you do have to think tactically with them. That's how they are. They're really bases because you have to have a certain amount of synergy. Going on with them because uh, it's a com because they don't have any sort of particular strong point. Like Warriors of Chaos is certainly much more stronger in their close combat with uh, and demons and high elves are much more stronger with their magic. But you just use the combination of that that you have no real weaknesses and no real strengths and just know how to tactfully uh, apply those um, elements. And uh, I really feel like it made me a good, uh, a much better uh, tactician in general. And really uh, appreciate the strategic elements of the game, which is what first attracted me to play Warhammer in the first place. Yep, yep. So,
0: all right,
1: cool. Uh, yeah. So, what what kind of empire do you like running most oh, at the moment?
2: Uh well, right now, um, you'll uh, if we'll you play, see. yeah. Well, I mean, you'll see. I'll, I'll you'll talk be a little part bit. Party three. Um, I'll I'll be honest. Like, uh, lately, I have you know a lot of empire players are going for what's called a um. Uh, light Council build. Mm-hmm. Um, specifically, uh, if anyone... To w- banish
1: those Demon Princes. Right,
2: right. E- everybody hates it. Well, I mean, uh, yeah. yeah. Those Demon Princes are pretty terrible. Um, but they deserve it. Yeah, they do. It, says it. the Kadai player. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he can banish too. <laughs> um, however, I, I took a very different tact. Um, I've definitely been really loving knights. Specifically, I really grew to hate pulling off all my little halberdier models (laughs) and having to re-rank them every game. So Uh. I switched over to a cavalry build, which less models to paint. I'm not a fast painter. Um, And uh, also a lot more movement, like tech, like I've really, for the past year, really gotten to understood a lot more about the usefulness of chaff and also uh, movement and just how important it is to the game. And so I run more of a kind of a, a night bus, uh, as it were, will, but a lot of different elements to it as well. So cool. Cool. All
1: right. Yeah. I All look right. forward to
2: crushing it underfoot. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I look
0: forward to dodging it and hitting it with dwellers. <laughs> um, anyway, so and I'll just lose, <laughs> <laughs> but look good doing it though. That's yeah, right. That's right. <laughs> that's right. That's
2: right. That's All right. So
0: hmm. that, that was Paul. Thank you for that. That's the sparkle. Well, way. Well, yeah. That's, that's how I sparkle. <laughs> So, what I want to go into now is is uh the northwest region and and what it means to be part of the Northwest region, how you can qualify um, and and what uh, how the masters is changing so first off uh next year's masters is going to have eighty competitors because now we have eight Oof. regions instead of fifty uh, instead of five so that's that's uh that's a significant step up um, each region is allowed to determine. Its own destiny as to how to get the 10 people there and so uh paul and i uh we we spoke to a lot of different uh groups that that organize tournaments and that um that play in tournaments across uh the area that we're responsible for and and we debated back and forth on a whole bunch of different things and and the nice thing is paul y- you've spent a bunch of time over uh in uh you know i'm not sure exactly where but certainly east North of the Carolina. mississippi right uh, which is a very different metagame and a very different philosophy on tournaments. And so um, when when I got in touch with Jerry, uh, who runs the U.S. Masters, and he said, you know, we need a chairman and, a, and an advisor, it absolutely made sense that Paul be the advisor. Um, he had been pushing me in the direction of, of setting up this region in the first place, and, and he had a very different perspective on, on how the rest of the country ran. So... Um, and I feel like we're kind of going to play off each other's um, strengths and weaknesses really well to make sure we're doing something good for the region. So um, we're already a third of the way through the, or a quarter of the way through the year. Um, and all the other regions uh, started up last year. So we're kind of playing catch up. Um, there's a minimum requirement that the Masters, uh, you, you must have at least three GTs form part of whatever qualifiers you have for your region. And and the reason behind that is you're gonna be going to play in a GT, so you've gotta have played in GTs before, right? Uh, and that just makes sense. Yeah. Um so for um for us though, we don't have we don't have like ten GTs like they have in and in, in like the mid-Atlantic region or anything like that. So it's not like we can just say, well, pick your best three GT scores from these ten. Um we have a, a, a smaller number. Um, half of the GTs uh, in this area are actually in BC um, and there are smaller GTs, you know, that, that maybe can't accommodate 20 Americans coming up to uh, come and participate for the U.S. Masters up there. So so what we've done is we've said, OK, for this, for this year, and we can revise it again next year, but for this year, we're going to take your best two scores, your best score from a one day tournament and your best score from a two-day tournament. And we've picked uh, four one-day tournaments and four two-day tournaments that are gonna form the basis for that. Um, The four one-day tournaments are uh, Sparkle Party three and four, uh, the Ordo Fanaticus Open, which is in September, um, and then there's gonna be a a fourth event in Bellingham that's still to be named that'll be in the later half of this year We've been in touch with the folks up there. They're definitely going to organize it. Um, We just need to get some details, and hopefully we'll have that by the time for the next podcast. So those are the one-dayers. The two-dayers, one of them has already occurred, um, which was the Black Sheep Brawl. And the Black Sheep Brawl was originally advertised as a um, West Coast region qualifier. So the top five players from Black Sheep Brawl qualified within the West Coast region. This was before the Northwest region was formed. Um so we wanted to recognize that people who were interested in participating for the Masters probably went to that tournament and we're gonna count that as a as a qualifying tournament.
2: Kind of a grandfather sort of move. Yeah, exactly.
0: <laughs> there weren't any other tournaments this year that had that, so that was why that one's in there. So
1: can they choose whether they use their score from that to qualify for the Northwest or for the They the can California qualify for both, I think. Oh, okay. I'm
0: not sure. I don't think the West Coast region prohibits based on residency or anything like that. So that yeah. that's really up to the West Coast region if they want to let people uh qualify. They the can only for them. accept
4: one invite anyway, sure. so yeah. it doesn't yep. matter where yeah. they use it, I guess. Yeah.
0: Um and so the the final three uh two day events are uh the Wet Coast GT, which is in Vancouver. Uh, we got in touch with those folks and they have enough space to be able to accommodate a whole bunch of people who decided to come up just to get US Masters points. So um that's great that's um that's in at the end of june mm-hmm. um sparkle party death Match five mm. which ricky's organizing in october i'm super excited about that one um the sparkle gt the sparkle gt, sparkle yep. GT.
1: <laughs>
4: costume contest included
1: oh
3: yeah
0: i'm looking forward to that um I got, can I got, we get a
1: spot in the u.s masters just by having the best costume no, potentially. <laughs> potentially. You could certainly you could certainly earn
0: points towards getting a higher ranking. That's mm. true. That's for sure. Yeah. Um, and then the the final one uh, is is the Northwest Masters Tournament, uh, which will be run in early January of 2014. So I'll talk about that in just a second. So there's the there's the eight tournaments, and and we take your best two scores from those tournaments. And uh, uh, the way that we calculate the score is based on your rank uh, and the size of the field in that tournament. And the the one-day tournaments, um, because there's less games, they're less accurate in terms of uh, uh, exactly where the placings should be. So if you think about a Swiss pairing system, which is uh, kind of what we use for most Warhammer tournaments, you can generally only, three games will tell you who's the best out of eight. Um Whereas you need five games to tell you who's the best out of thirty-two, um, so we felt like you know it, it, the luck of the day and the, and the dice were much more in your favor uh, in a one-day tournament, and so we should weight that a little bit less. Um, and whereas over a over a five-game tournament in two days, um, your your rank is much more likely to be accurate compared to compared to a similar size field in a one day. Um, so a combination of the size of the field and whether it's a one day or a two day gives you a total number of points. Now, it's worth mentioning that that the uh, uh, number of points that you get from a one day tournament, uh, from a two day tournament is never going to be enough to win a place just by itself. You must have competed in a one day tournament as well. Um, and so uh, people can't just come in and, and win one of the tournaments and then say, that's it, I'm going. Um, you're going to have to be part of the community competing in the tournaments. And this is this is deliberate, right? We want to send players who are competitive tournament players um, who are part of our community. Right. That's one mm-hmm. of the the main the main drives behind having the masters in the first place.
2: And uh just to kind of tack on to what he was saying about uh the tournaments, um if you might have noticed that there's actually a little bit of uh a pattern between the locations of the tournaments. We try to get the best sort of spread that we could within our region um for example there are two tournaments in the northern kind of part for as close as we could get to alaska um two in seattle which is very or well actually more than two um but quite a few in seattle which is more centrally located and then two in oregon um to go and get a lot of the, the so essentially that players can expect to have a, a quote-unquote home field advantage, that they're not going to have to pay a huge amount out of their pocket like it was in uh, back with the, the West Coast when it was still um, set up. Most of the tournaments were in California, which would I have been – all of the tournaments were
0: in right. California with, with the exception ex- of the BSB. Exactly,
2: yeah. exactly. And so that would have uh, – it was very prohibitive for anyone north of – well, Sacramento (laughs) to, uh, to, To actually qualify. True. Yeah. yeah. And Mm -hmm. so we like, that was our main goal, especially was just to cultivate community in the way that, you know, we, we set up the rankings where we have our circuit located and even just the amount of tournaments that we're, uh, including our circuit. Most circuits generally only have like four or five tournaments to actually count towards, who gets to go to even maybe uh, a, a tournament, an elimination tournament, to see who goes? So not even a guarantee. So, but we we wanted to give everybody a lot of chances to go um, and uh, potentially be part of uh, what we're doing here. Yep,
0: yep,
1: exactly. Because some people have other things than Warhammer going on in their lives. Who knew? <laughs>
0: um so so um what we don't want to do is this is not a prescriptive list that's going to be the list next year or anything like that right what we want to do is is lend our our help and uh uh, expertise and our connections to try and encourage more tournaments to be part of the the qualifiers next year and and i would lean towards more of the tournaments being two-day tournaments simply because it gives you a more accurate representation of, of who the better players are right. uh, than, than who was lucky rolling the dice.
2: Right. And I I was actually gonna say I wanna talk a little bit about the uh how we did the ranking system. Like specifically um Tom here yeah. helped out.
3: Enormously. Yeah, for sure.
0: So so we started off with a with a a simple formula that we adopted from the uh mid Atlantic region mm-hmm. um and we tried to make that work to shape kind of what we were trying to do. And, and it wasn't quite sitting right with both of us and neither of us had the math. And thankfully Tom, (laughs) Tom is a researcher who does this. Like I I sent him a text message and, you know, before I had a chance to scratch my ass, he had pretty much worked it all out. And uh, he said, this is what you really want to do. I'm like, that's exactly what I want. (laughs) Um, so uh, blame Tom. Uh, Mathematical (laughs) shenanigans. Yeah, 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 for sure. So, uh, what, what we wanted to do was, um, Reward you more for finishing uh, closer to the top in a in a uh, medium-sized tournament than finishing in the middle of the pack for a large tournament. Um, so, for example, if you finished first out of twenty-five versus twenty-fifth out of fifty, you should definitely get more of a reward for finishing first.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and so. Uh, the formula is there. It's, it's all worked out. We've got the points calculated for the first tournament, which is the Black Sheep Brawl, um, which shows, you know, who's got the most points out of that already. Um, and, and I just want to talk about, you know, how do you actually get to go to Masters? Because we've worked out a, a system, that I think, is uh, incorporates some of the requests that we had um, and, and really, for me, um, encourages participation the whole way through the tournament season. So... Um, by the time we hit uh, either Sparkle Party 5 or the Bellingham event, whatever is the last event, um, everyone's scores will be calculated um, with the exception of of the Northwest Masters event. So from those scores, we will take the top eight players. Those top eight qualify for a spot um, at the U.S. Masters. Uh, the final two spots are decided by the Northwest Masters Tournament. So at that tournament um, that I'm going to be organizing in Seattle, those top eight players are going to be invited to play against each other just in the pot of eight over a two-day tournament to figure out who is the Northwest Master.
1: And then are they the captain of the team for the U.S. Masters?
0: Um, I, I think they could be if if that's what they wanted to be. Um, certainly, they get, should get the first right of refusal.
2: We can give them a varsity jacket or something Yeah.
0: Like <laughs> <laughs> um, I definitely have some interesting ideas for prizes. Um, now, so the ninth and tenth spot um, are going to be decided at the Northwest Masters Tournament. So uh, what we wanted to do, uh, there was quite a few people who wished to have a tournament there. If you won the tournament, you gotta, uh, you got to go to Masters. So the like a wild card. A yeah. wild card. Yep. The number nine spot goes to the person that wins the Northwest Masters tournament. So this is, this is the. I thought the people s- who are in the Northwest. Yeah, one, second, were, one second. One oh. second. Yeah, I'm going to explain. <laughs> yeah. There's, there's the eight people who are competing for the the title of master mm. and then there's going to be a tournament with the rest of the field. Okay. They're competing against each other sure. to get that wild card spot. Mm. So maybe that's the wild card tournament so we That's nice as
1: well cuz then everyone else gets to show up at the Northwest Masters and, and play see, some games and as well. see the masters yeah. play
0: and and play some games themselves. And then the 10th spot is the really wild card and that goes to the costume person. party. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Not that wild. <laughs> that goes to the person who has the best score, not counting the other nine who have already just qualified after the end of the uh, Masters tournament. So that's one last chance to get a better score in your two day I see. Um, and if you, you know, if you've, um, it, it's it's a field that already has the top eight players not playing in it and the person who comes first in it already qualifies so their score doesn't count either so of the remaining players this is the this is the opportunity to to grind it out and and mm. potentially get your spot in the masters I i've just always give,
1: a- i would just give that last spot to whoever has the highest dimensional cascade count at the time mm. <laughs> so, so i have just one
4: question um, yeah they do need to be fully painted right
0: uh to go to the masters
4: yes, yes.
1: um
0: i think so yeah yes they yeah, do, I do. Um, and and the rankings points are calculated off of your your overall ranking as determined by the tournament organizer, uh, which for pretty much every tournament in the Northwest area includes painting, includes sportsmanship, yeah. etc.
1: Does the U.S. Masters itself consider painting? So
0: it didn't for this year. And there was a lot. Of, I
2: thought it did. It, I don't. I think it was only a first through third, though.
0: Yeah, there. Uh, I'm not sure. I, I don't. I, there was certainly no sport. There. there I mean, uh, I listened to a bunch of podcasts talk about how the sportsmanship scores and painting scores, all these soft scores that weren't quite considered properly for who finished top in the U.S. Masters.
2: Right. I think um, just the way they did it. And actually, I think this might be a um, a, a quick little sidebar. So um, with Aiden and I being uh, the representatives for. The region we actually have uh we're going to be part of a um, voting for in a council which is part of the reason why we're going to be advocating for the inclusion oh, of I bc see. but it also includes how the u.s masters is going to be run yep and um something we've discussed at length is, is that the
1: council w- of 13 uh, 28 because uh, it's one for okay. each region Yeah.
2: exactly we don't get a cool name like that unfortunately <laughs> um but uh We've gone out with the mission that we want to be incredibly inclusive, and also do the do our best to represent our region and our interests, which I think means celebrating every aspect of this hobby. Yeah,
3: so
0: I, I I agree. I mean, it it we are very much like if you look at the at, at, across most of the tournament packs. I, I think I've looked at all of them. They all include a huge swing in favor of painting, in favor of sportsmanship. Uh, and above and beyond that, most of them have uh, little to no comp right sure, and right. so we will very much be voting along those lines when, when when we talk about should next year be Swedish comp or not um, you know uh, our Our general point of view is going to be well, we should be as light on comp as we possibly can and still have a fair tournament
2: exactly because I think just once again, like we had touched before earlier, is that the East Coast is very, very competitive, and so comp is very much required and even just the masters was looked at as being who can play the best but i think that what we want to include in there is that we want to know who is the best hobbyist who goes and really exemplifies like our nation's to sound patriotic our nation's ability to play this hobby and i so
0: yeah really the 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 US Master should be the person that you're most excited to play against in a game of Warhammer. Mm-hmm. So, that it has to be someone with a beautiful army who's a great sportsman and a great player. Sure. Right? Um, that's the sort of person that I would want to, you know, crown. G- as, crown exactly. Yes. And, that's, and that's definitely the sort of person we'll be crowning as the Northwest Master, right? Sure. So, the point scores and the paint scores, uh, all, all of that will be um, incorporated. Probably something quite similar to the Sparkle Party uh, tournament pack will be part of the Northwest Masters pack.
1: What do you think? Do you think the Northwest guys stand a chance against the the Northeast power gamers? Oh God! <laughs> I, I
0: absolutely do because because Seattle and the Northwest is is gamer central, right? We have sure. we have uh while well, we we don't have Games Workshop here, but we we do have you know uh, Privateer Press is based here, Paizo Games is based here, Wizards of the Coast is based here, Pax is based here. But it seems you know, like
1: for Warhammer specifically, the Northeast just dominates. Like I think in the Masters, they got. Three of the top five spots. Or I something. think it was actually
2: more like eight of the top ten oh, spots. Yeah. It was it was they pretty atrocious. But
0: they they play a lot of Swedish comp as well. Yeah, yeah. because
4: they are okay. used to that comp system. They're gonna have an advantage. In yeah, it. and
0: if we if we suddenly switch to a no comp system, then they started taking all all the filth of the day, and then it'd be like well. You can bring all the filth you want, but if you're not used to playing with it all the time, it doesn't exactly. necessarily mean you're going to win.
2: And I think even just uh, we're going to have plenty of opportunities because since we're going to be voting and um, on what exactly this master is going to be, we're going to be able to pass that on to the players of our region who are going on there and give them a chance to prepare for this. So they shouldn't feel like that they're going to be walking into something blind.
0: Yeah. And uh, what I may do, and I haven't decided yet, uh, I may run... The um then the Masters tournament, uh, the Northwest Masters tournament, with whatever the compass being decided for the US Masters Tournament to give everyone a feel of yeah. it. Um makes and, sense. Yeah. And I think that'd be that'd be fun for everybody, even even if you're not competing for for the uh the actual title.
4: And when when is Masters next year or this year's Masters uh held
0: it's yeah. next year but what date it's it's i don't think it, the date is being confirmed yet but it's aiming for february
4: yeah
2: i think uh because from what uh they've said so far is that it's going to be held um back in north carolina since it's a uh, very centrally located um for at least for next them. year <laughs> well for them yes yes um but uh in february and then they're going to be going on a rotating basis. Yeah. So once again, now that we actually have the ability to have our say in this that we might be able yeah. to uh yeah, um,
0: we we can we can potentially pitch and say here's why we <clears> think, <throat> think it should be hosted in Seattle or Oregon <clears throat> or, you
1: know, wherever it happens. Vegas. To be. Vegas, yeah.
0: Not a bad idea. It would be nice if you guys <laughs> it would be
1: great if you guys can can push on that comp ruling a little bit because I Swedish We weren't we weren't the only ones that were mm, not happy with Swedish. Swedish yeah. honestly turns the game even more into a kind of min maxing game because you now have this whole other aspect that you're trying to min max and you're just trying to like abuse that system as best you can to get the best army out of it. Yeah,
0: and, yeah, absolutely. I think uh so I listen to the Dwellers below podcast uh all the time. There's chaps in Australia and um Chris Cousins, I think it was, um, who who has been the Australian master um, he pointed out that any kind of hard comp system uh, is just waiting to be broken, right? No matter sure. what it is, um, it's waiting for someone to figure out the loophole and go. I've got the army that pretty much can't be beat as long as as long as I you know play it reasonably sensibly. Um, and so, uh, I definitely feel that way about hard comp. You know, at that point, you're saying uh, we've designed this game so that it's now perfectly balanced. Go. <laughs> and and that can't possibly be the case.
2: Right. Right. Yeah.
0: Okay. So so that's the U.S. Masters. Um, that is Northwest Masters. Um, I'm excited to be running that tournament. I'm excited that we've got the region. Um, I yeah. I don't know what's going to happen if I qualify. God. Um, <laughs> You'll have to be the
3: organizer and a well, player. So, I won't qualify, so I'll do that. Yeah. Ricky, <laughs> Ricky <laughs> has
0: graciously, <laughs> yeah. yeah Because uh, Ricky has graciously offered to to step in and and help. As long as I organize the tournament, he'll help me run it on the day if I'm actually playing in it.
3: Sure.
2: Oh, and a quick thing. If you go to the Masters, you'll get a T-shirt. No, yeah, sure will.
1: <laughs> for your T-shirts. But yeah. you have to pay for a plane ticket to wherever. <laughs> yeah. So, so we also
0: wherever do need to raise the money for, for the dues. Like each region has to pay dues. Um, it's like 300 bucks or something like that. Um, oh, um, we'll use the money from the Northwest Masters tournament to to pay for that, mm-hmm. uh, anything that we raise. So it, it might be $5 more than you would expect to pay for a tournament to help cover that cost. Um, other than that, um, I don't know if there's anything else we want to talk about related to the masters.
2: Not that I can think uh, of. I
0: think no. we're good. <clears throat> All right, so we'll wrap up the tournament zone.
1: Yeah.
3: The, the hobby horse. horse.
0: <laughs> okay, so this uh, this episode we're going to be talking about making buildings. So uh, I think there's kind of really three types of scenery that end up uh, on on every battlefield or Or at least are are a key part of uh, if you 've got scenery at all uh chances are you 've got these three things, and they are hills, forests, and buildings um, yeah there's a lot of other bits and pieces you can put out there and, and pretty much anything can function as impassable terrain as as the Las Vegas guys have proven with their <laughs> beer bottles. slosh yep. yeah <laughs> um, but uh you know I want to talk about buildings because um for for a bunch of reasons, one. Um, there, there are a number. There's at least one scenario in the main rulebook, and several other scenarios um, in the um, extended section that revolve around buildings. So they're important for scenario perspective. Um, two, uh, I think a lot of people find them in intimidating to build or to 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 make, or even to you know hard to find mm-hmm. when you're trying to buy them
1: is one part where you would really get to be like creative you know a forest is a forest and a hill is a hill but, but a, building a buildings can be, buildings can be anything, can be anything. and yeah. and that's
0: the third reason that i wanted to talk about them is is to kind of demystify some of that um because because making a building if you're at all into a hobby um is actually pretty easy uh, so we're going to talk about a few different ways that you can make buildings um Maybe you've you've tried all of these. Maybe you've done them all before. Uh, that's fine. Go and listen to another podcast. Um, <laughs> but uh, if if you know you've built your army and uh, you you are wanting to kind of extend uh, the scenery that you've got, uh, or you've never built a building before, or maybe you just want to learn some new tips, that's that's why we're what we're trying to to cover. Okay, so. Um, I wanna I wanna start off uh actually handing over to Ricky because um you built all of the watchtowers for um Sparkle Party two where we had the watchtower of doom scenario um <laughs> that we talked about in, in way back in way back in episode. Why
1: one. are you so obsessed with
4: Doom, Ricky? Uh, Everything's doom. It's just doomy. It's a goblin uh, is a goblin uh, player. Yeah. Um yeah, yeah, so
0: so talk us through how you made those, um and then we can go from there.
4: Uh yeah, so all those uh, all the towers were um, plaster, uh, cast plaster blocks um, using the Hearst Arts molds. Um, if you haven't been to the Hearst Arts website, it's just HearstArts.com. Um, what it is—
0: H-I-R-S-T.
4: Yeah. Oh uh, Yeah, yeah. And we'll put a link in the show notes, I'm yep. sure, and, and people will be able to click over to it. Um, wh- what it is is— uh, Hurst, uh, I think his name was was it John Hurst? I think that's what I don't remember his first name, but Bruce, last, I thought Bruce, yeah, yeah, it's Bruce Hurst, right? So his um, he he's an old school teacher, um, role playing nerd who loved to build buildings for his role playing, and he started out the way that a lot of people would try and build buildings, you know, like uh, carving carving little little blocks and all kinds of crazy stuff that just took forever, and um, eventually he ended up. Uh, creating these silicone molds that you can pour plaster into or resin if you want to cast with resin. Um, and then after that cures up, you can pop out these little blocks that are essentially Legos that don't have the little snap together um, knobs on the top, but that are textured to look like stone. He has some that look like wood. Um, he also has uh, floor tile ones and um, roofing roofing tiles and um jeez, all kinds of stuff there's he even has little detail bits, so um he had r- loosely broken out into big castle molds and gothic molds there's filled stone molds, which are the ones I prefer um there's a bunch of cavern molds, which I just purchased some of those because I wanted to do a bunch of underground um pieces that are kind of
0: more natural looking rather than uh rather than carved stone looking
4: yeah so they they would look like a underground. Uh, water cavern type stuff um the the village molds is usually a collection of filled stone molds and some roof molds to help you build simple buildings um then there's a he has a whole collection of egyptian molds uh which are really cool for people who want to do a tomb king themed army
0: also not uh, bad for lizard men
4: yeah yeah they they do have a good crossover um, a lot of the blocks actually have little glyphs- car- carved right into them, so you don 't even have to worry about trying to get that detail in there uh there 's some Roman molds that have like the classic Roman columns things like that uh forty k players can get some sci fi molds if you want and so there's there 's a little bit of something there for everybody um they're uh, I really like them there's there 's another company that makes some um, um, i think they 're called linka mold link Linka, uh, Linka block or something like that I'll, I'll get the actual name it's in one of my um, one of my bookmarks somewhere um, they make a another set that are more um, kind of brick looking molds it's a little smaller scale they're, they were designed more for architects um, they're really good molds they're silicone as well so you can pour plaster in them scrape them off and build these buildings with cool siding and all yep. that stuff
0: that's linkaworld.com
4: linkaworld that's right Um, so those, those are, um, well anyways, the, the towers for Sparkle Party that I've built and any buildings that I'm going to ever build for Sparkle Party will be built with these, uh, these molds and the, there's a small investment. Each, each mold costs about 30 to 40 bucks, um, when you buy just the mold, but you can cast, um, an indefinite amount of plaster in there as much as you have patience for and a big bag of plaster like you would, buy a big bag of cement is about $12 I think it was at Home Depot the last time I bought one and I can cast up um, all, all those towers that I cast um, all 18 of them Bought that yeah fif- no 15 15 towers which were um, three story towers four inches across um, with a parapet yeah with it. a parapet on top and everything like that um, I was able to do that with one bag of plaster so There's a small investment in buying each mold, but then once you have each mold, you can do so much with them, so much production that you can um, save yourself a lot of money in the long run. And then they they just glue together with Elmer's glue. Yeah.
0: Oh, that was about to be my question. You said said it's a little bit like Lego, but without the snap together parts. (laughs) So, how do you get it together so it's it's Elmer's glue?
4: Yeah. You know, um, here's the thing you can use wood glue if you want um which is actually stronger than elmer's a little bit but elmer's is already stronger than the plaster is anyways if you drop one of those towers it would break break at the plaster not at the glue so you're you could save yourself the the money and just use straight up elmer's which is super cheap um now there are options like i said you can cast other stuff in there you can cast um um hydrocal which is a really lightweight kind of plaster but not any really stronger than normal plasters and it tends to get a lot of bubbles in it so you don't really get good detail
0: i've heard that other people use like a dental mold plaster. yeah
4: and that's the that's the premium stuff so if you really (laughs) want to you know build your own collection for something that you plan to use for years and years and years um then you would probably want to switch over to this dental plaster and you can get that um uh, Bruce has several places on his on the HearstArt's website where you can source those and order them they come in usually like big 25 pound um, boxes or something like that a big square box you can usually cast quite a bit from one box and the dental plaster is so much stronger like uh, you some it's actually kind of hard to to chip it apart like uh, you can drop just a normal plaster block and on a hardwood floor it might shatter.
0: So this is the stuff that they make uh, molds out of your teeth for when yeah. they when they're fitting you for braces. Yeah. Right? So they got to they got to get all of that wrapped around. It. So it's as strong it's not quite as strong as your teeth, but it has to be able to take yeah. a bit of abuse. Yeah. So
4: if you drop one of those dental plaster blocks on the same floor it's probably gonna dent the floor and not and not break. So it's there's a it's definitely got an advantage if so you, you don't do have to go buy a new, yeah
1: a new tower, but you have to buy a new
3: floor.
4: Yeah. So if you do well, it's still probably gonna break if you drop a huge mass. Mm. I'm pretty sure it would still not. But take it's a the bit force. more resilient. Yeah. Yep. So um, it's not gonna chip as much from just you know the day to day use of it. So if you're gonna buy if you're gonna go through the expense of the dental plaster, you'll probably want to switch over to the the wood glue. Um, And then after you get them assembled, um, you can assemble stuff dry. That's the best thing. Um, It's like Legos in that you can assemble everything dry and look at it and go like, yeah, that looks pretty cool. Okay. Or not and just knock it over and start over. And those are the same molds that I used to build the trophies for sparkle parties. Yeah. So if you ever happen to win one of those, that's (laughs) (laughs) – I've got two. Two for two, baby. So – So they have a lot of uses for me. I use them for all kinds of stuff, right? Um, uh, You can just paint them normally, though. I use just uh, the cheapest acrylic kind of artist paint. Once I'm done, I just kind of prime them up really quick with the airbrush and then just dry brush and you're good to go.
0: Yep. Yeah, I think I think the really neat part, and you've described it before, as kind of a hobby within the hobby with those with those molds. Mm-hmm. Um you, you, the a lot of the molds are intercompatible, and so when you when you mold out a whole bunch of different pieces, um, you can start to build some really interesting stuff. Like yeah, you can create. Full on castles and, and and keeps and villages and all sorts of stuff, which is great if you want to play like siege games or or yeah. you know whatever else. Yeah. Um, and the other thing that I really like about them is is that reusability aspect, right? You know, you you get you get a lot of buying for your buck. Yeah, you um, sure do. You know, and uh, I think it works really well if you've got like a group setting where you know maybe um, between three or four people or your local gaming group, you decide well we're going to buy three molds and. And we're going to, you know, cast a gazillion pieces and we give out the pieces to people and everybody can build, you know, two things or three things. And now all of a sudden we've got, you know, 10 buildings that we can use for our gaming group.
3: Mm
4: -hmm. Yeah. Oh, and I use them for the walls, too, for Sparkle Parties. But so they they have all kinds of uses. Um, Like you you said, they are interchangeable with one another because he does everything on a half inch or eighth inch or no quarter inch standard, basically. So everything is usually a quarter inch or a half inch or one inch. And so it makes it easy to kind of mix and match your different, um, textured blocks and still have them fit together. So, yep. yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah.
0: Okay. So that, that's, uh, that's the Hearst art stuff. Um, uh, very much, uh, something that you can, you can, uh, I think very quickly get addicted to. <laughs> yeah. um, if you've ever been to Ricky's house, uh, he has a coffee table, that is just uh it's about four feet wide and two feet deep and it's just covered in, in hearst art blocks that he's cast and hasn't yet stuck together.
3: Yeah. <laughs> Guilty. Um, yep. <laughs> yep.
0: So so that's that's one approach. Um so the the downside of of those uh is as as you said, they, they chip a little easily. Mm-hmm. They they can be fragile. Um and, it's a slow process. And it's too. a slow process. Yeah, so
4: you know, I on a good night, I can usually get about four casts, four casts per mold um, in a night. Because I, I usually have to pour and then wait about 45 minutes um, for it to be hard enough to not crumble when you pop it out of the mold. And even then, you either need to put it in a food dehydrator or let it set for a couple of days before all the moisture is out of the plaster, and then you can actually assemble and build. So if you're if for doing the each one of the towers for Sparkle Party. Um, takes 16 castings of a mold. So if I was to do one of those you know, a day, it would take 16 days just to do one tower. So what I ended up doing was buying, I already had two, I bought two more molds of that particular mold. So I had four molds going. I was able to cast one tower a night, because I could do four times four, right? So if you're going to do big production, you're going to need to put a little more money into it. But, again, if you're just doing it as a side hobby, it's fun to just pour a mold, go sit down and paint. When the timer goes off, go and pop them out, do another set, things like that. But, yeah, it is slow. Um, They do chip. They're heavy. Um, If you want to travel with them, they're going to be kind of heavy.
0: And then they'll need to be packed like miniatures.
4: Yeah, and you have to pack them pretty gently. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, for sure.
0: Okay. So, so that's the uh, uh, Her start stuff. Um what I what I wanted to talk about next was um how do we build our buildings from scratch? Um so I'm going to talk a little bit about how uh I build stuff um and there's kind of two approaches that I like to take. Um one is just working from card. Um you can build a lot of buildings uh just straight up from, from craft card that you buy at like uh, uh, Michael's or Joanne Fabrics or somewhere like that, nice and cheap. As long as you don't mind the kind of the increase in estrogen level as soon as you walk <laughs> into the store, um, you can usually th- – those, those stores always have like a 40% off coupon. Um, so you can go in like for one item. You can go in and get it at 40% off. So you can get card for, for a really well price and uh i actually i did a tutorial on how to build a watchtower really quickly i threw it on my blog um you you can you can slice the card um assemble it um paint it and texture it um uh you know in a few hours and you'll have a decent looking watchtower. not quite as pretty as the ones you get from the herstatt molds because those are those can be beautifully rounded like uh mm-hmm. uh you know late medieval kind of watchtowers. Um, but you know, very functional, um, looks good on the battlefield. Um, and, and literally just from making two cubes, um, without lids and sticking them on top of each other. Yeah. Um, so, so going beyond that, um, uh, one thing that I do is I collect boxes. So as I do, as, as my family eats, different shaped things. I end up, I like there's a box up there. I'm pointing it out to everyone in the podcast. Uh, <laughs> there, that, that is full of, um, interesting shaped boxes from food containers that can be used to turn into, into, uh, Warhammer scenery. So you want to make an elven tower, buy some Pringles.
3: Uh,
1: yeah. All right. I, see that. I got
0: three Pringles boxes up there. Um, <laughs> hmm. there's a, uh, What makes for, if you want it sort of more dwarven, you want to get some of those uh, nice single malt scotches. Oh, oh, honey, (laughs) it's for Warhammer. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, That makes it better.
3: (laughs) (laughs) That
1: would make it worse. um, No, no, I need
0: to spend the extra $20, $30 on this very, very nice whiskey just to get the box. (laughs) (laughs) uh, I like to get the round boxes because it's easy to build square ones yourself. Um, But if you want to have like a round tower, um, look for round boxes like those pringles, like the bottle boxes um th- there are some cookies that come in round boxes and candies and so forth um, so keep an eye out for them and then uh, you can pull the lid off and you can use the uh the box itself as kind of the base for what you're you're going to be building so so once you 've got your base built whatever way you're going to do it um, uh, there's there's really only um there's kind, of, there's kind of two steps you need to take. One is you want to stop it from looking like a box. <laughs> right? <laughs> Obviously, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, and the, the easiest way to do that is to take another box.
1: <gasps> no, it looks like two boxes. And put so...
0: it on top. Well, this, oh. is, this is what castles look like, right? Yeah, you think true. about a castle. Um, uh, a square castle is, is a, a square box with a larger square box on top with, that are the ramparts and the, and the crenellations and so forth. Um, same for, same for the round one. So, so just find one that's larger. I have, I have, you know, um, cookie boxes are great for coming from, uh, to, if you want a wider base, um, and you can pop those on top. Uh, and then, um, once you've glued them together, uh, a quick spray with, uh, undercoat and, and then they're able to take, uh, whatever it is you want to, you want to put on top of them. So, um. Actually, depending on what material they're made out of, sometimes you can just put PVA glue right on there, and uh, uh, or Elmer's glue, um, and dip it into sand, dip it into whatever, however way you want to texturize it. Um, Another thing that I've done is is especially along the edges, I just do the edges and dip it into very coarse grain sand, and then paint that up like moss or ivy Mm. um, with a dry brush or a few dry brushes of green, Um, and you can get a a, a very nice effect very quickly. Just by doing that, uh, doors very simple. Cut out a door shape in card, or cut out some planks in card and stick them together in a door shape, and uh, stick it on the front of your of your of your watchtower. And make the same for a for a trap door. Stick it on the top of your watchtower, mm-hmm. um, and uh, you can get a, a tower-like building very quickly. Um, if you want to go for more like a, a, a cottage shape or something like that, it becomes. a it's a little more tricky, right? Because then you're usually going for a hip roof. But um, once you've built a, a, a castle, it's very it's very easy to then um, figure out, well, how do I then just cut the card in a different way to kind of create that hip roof? Same sort of principles apply after that. Um, again, uh, just like you, Ricky, uh, I think the easiest way to paint these things is, is y- y- with card, you generally don't have the texture like you have with plaster. Mm-hmm. And so you have to apply the texture yourself. Yeah. Um, so it's got to be done through some sort of, um, stone flocking. Again, uh, you can get a lot of these things in Joanne fabrics or, or, or Michael's or one of those, mm-hmm. you know, um, craft stores for really cheap. Um, and just, you know, apply that and then apply the paint on top of it. Yeah. Um, and dry brushing uh, is absolutely the right way to go. <laughs> yeah. Everything else just takes too long.
4: Yeah. Um, yeah. So, uh, uh yeah, like the, uh, spray, uh, there's that spray. Uh, rattle cans of that stone spray texture which are really great for card stock buildings because you can spray that right on and it gives it a nice sandy texture already um you can also get the um, orange peel stuff that comes in also in a like can from like home depot or lowe's and that's the stuff for repairing patches in drywall you spray that on stuff, and it works pretty well, too. Oh, cool. I didn't um, know about that. I've used that mm-hmm. before. The other thing you can do, um, and I mentioned this, I think, when we were talking about display boards, is if you uh, peel off one half of foam core, which foam core isn't exactly uh, super cheap to, or, or readily available to everybody. I have you know, easy access to it, but... Um, you can buy it at Joann's and places like that, like you said. And what it is, if you peel off one layer, um, put that layer facing out, you can carve stone texture into it if you're building like a square building. And with that one layer off, you can also bend it into slightly curved buildings and carve stone into it. You can also, nice. um, if you're doing like those, uh, what are they, the the timber buildings, you know, kind of that, um, mm, what is it? Uh, what's that? Like log- Bavarian, mm-hmm. that Bavarian look. Oh, okay. You know, where it's the timber and plaster look. Oh, yeah. Right, right? Mm. Yep. Um,
3: what's
1: that called? Uh, Waddle wa- and dob, daub. Yeah, maybe. yeah. Like Tudor-style house. Yeah, two style
4: houses, yeah. yeah. so of? if you're doing that kind of look, you can take the balsa wood and kind of glue that on the end of the foam core and then glue little top sticks with the the, the paper peeled off. And then when you prime the model, the, the um, primer actually texturizes the foam quite a bit and makes it look kind of like the plaster is a little bit old and aged and then you can just dry brush that pretty quick too so those nice. are some pretty easy
0: yeah and you can you can use um balsa wood to build stuff out of but what i found is it's actually quite pricey it is um, yeah. and you're better off uh buying um Lollipop sticks, yeah right yeah those uh, are really good if you they're very very strips. cheap um uh, great for making fences uh uh palisades mm-hmm. anything like that um and then you can also very easily turn it into yeah the the log cabin kind of yeah. look or <laughs> uh anything at all even if you paint it um depending on the size of the sticks you get you can you can uh easily turn them into wooden uh into pillars. Um, and then the pillars could be painted stone, um, and that and would still look good. Yeah. Um, it's just a nice, natural kind of texture that takes a dry brush really well.
4: Yeah. The thing I've seen for, like, thatch roofs is you take the, the faux fur that you might get at a fabric store. Oh, interesting. Yeah, you take faux fur, and you just glue that onto the roof, and then you take a watered-down uh, PVA mm-hmm. or Elmer's. solid, to solidify yeah, it and you, Yeah, and you brush it on. Um, and then you tend to trim off the bottom because you don't want the fur sticking that far off the bottom. But you wait for it to kind of dry some, and then you trim the bottom. It makes it look. And if you if you do it right, you actually take the time to kind of to mold it after you've gotten it saturated. You can make it look like they had tied the fresh bundles and everything. Nice. So it's a pretty easy way to do kind of thatched roofs. That's nice. relatively inexpensive.
0: Yep. Well, one of the things that I've done um, is is if you want to make something look like a it's it's brick or or a large block um rather than doing every brick individually which could be very time consuming oh, yeah. um you can texture most of it and then and then cut out some bricks and and just kind of do them in a slightly different color mm-hmm. um uh and and paste them on top so
4: in little clusters in little yeah.
0: clusters and that and that gives the suggestion of of the brickwork without having to have gone into all the detail um and that, and that can also work well for um you know, uh, surfaces for floor surfaces or, or whatever else, if you want to kind of give that suggestion of cobbled stone without having to yeah. uh, do all of the individual cobbles or whatever else. Okay, so that's a bit about scratch building. Um, we've talked a bit about um, molding. I guess kind of to round things up, uh, what we should really do is talk about the, the, the easiest and, and uh, most time-effective way to get buildings <laughs> on the battlefield, which is just to buy them. <clears throat> um so there's a number of different ways that you can do this obviously game, games workshop um sells plastic kits that are that are bare plastic and, and you've got the the interesting hobby aspects of assembling the kit and um, and and painting it up uh, and in fact i did that for my wood elf forest um because the citadel forest is really cool it is it's a nice it's a nice little terrain piece and um um the the trees are quite sturdy compared to any other yeah. tree that you could make yourself. Um but from a building perspective they have obviously extremely fluffy buildings that go very mm-hmm. well with it.
1: And you can do conversions with those kits. You can do kit bashing on yeah. terrain. Yeah. Kit bashing is not just for miniatures.
0: And and the terrain is actually really well priced, I think. Yeah, and, and I think com- so too. You know,
1: compared to like Minis it seems like a really good deal always yeah, you,
0: know? yeah, you can get terrain for you know in the thirty dollar range and and it goes all the way up to like almost a hundred dollars. I just
1: but... bought a few weeks, ago. I can't remember the exact name of the piece, but it's one that's like a little watch tower with a kind of like skeleton a skeleton yeah. clock guy on top, and then in the bottom layer of the tower, it has this crazy. Well, with like skull faces in there, yeah, so that's kind of separate skull vein skull is Mance, that one? yeah, so I'm going to use that on my display board for the chaos dwarfs because the bit that's actually just the base of the tower, if you take that away and it it just looks like this kind of sorcerous pool, yeah that you can have one of your wizards set up, like he's summoning something out there yeah so the the, the
4: thing that's worth noting though is g w s discontinued their watchtower and chapel and mm. the Fortified <clears throat> Manor, which was the combination of the Watchtower and the Chapel. Oh, yeah. um, so if you see those in your local store, you should snatch them up now if you want to just get them cheap because otherwise I'm, I'm not sure if they're going to make anything more or if they just decided to discontinue mm-hmm. them indefinitely. Well, what they have,
0: it they have a Warhammer Fortress um which is yeah a, they have the fortress mm-hmm. like fort that, that's a hundred bucks but you can buy the individual towers yeah. for 25 dollars yeah. on, yeah. on the website mm-hmm. um, i and have you can, some of those are pretty good actually. and you can also buy the gateway for 25 dollars so mm-hmm. you can mm-hmm. you know so it's actually yeah, you can
1: like get a fortress and then expand it with different bits as well to get the exact kind of you can expand it or even, or yeah. if you know
0: a hundred dollars isn't uh, is is outside your budget range you can spend the 25 on the tower sure um and then maybe another 25 on a wall later or whatever you want to do do so so there's definitely um, options uh, either in your local store or or uh, online Um, and and what you'll find is a lot of local game stores will have some um, uh, scenery options if they're if they're a wargaming store at all they'll have um, because scenery is one of those nice generic things that can be used across a a bunch of different a bunch of different game systems. but I mean even the like if you look at the what you get for the price yeah some of it is quite pricey but but the quality of the models is 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 high yeah. just like yeah, just really like cool. everything else in the, in the GW range expensive, you know it's yeah. expensive but good um so let's look at let's look at cheap but reasonably good sort of <laughs> alternatives mm. um i have to give a shout out to pegasus hobby um mm-hmm. they give a really good range of of all sorts of scenery um they have a bunch of um uh sort of medieval village type pieces where they've got like a an inn um stables um, you know all, all sorts of different things and they're in this sort of 25-ish dollars range um and they're painted right yeah, so yeah. you you order it it comes and you plop it straight down on the table and that's it uh you can get them on eBay i think you can get them on Amazon so uh, very easy to get a hold of um i've got their river i don't know if you've seen the river that that's from them as well they do they do a whole range of different scenery but their buildings because we're focused on buildings at the moment their buildings are, uh, I think, pretty good. They're they're the right sort of scale for Warhammer, um, you know, sort of human size scale, um, and, and they look. I think they look pretty good on the battlefield, just straight out of the
4: box. Cool. Well, I I, I guess if I'm gonna, I would suggest a, kind of a premium, top end, uh, <laughs> retailer top here. Shelf. Yeah. So, uh, to, if we're gonna run the whole gamut, which would be uh, tabletop world, and it's you know tabletop dash world dot com and their their buildings that's all they do is is um really in impressive buildings <laughs> they also have an impressive price tag um so right now like their their newest piece which is the coaching inn um i think runs a uh, uh, 98 euros um which is you know well like
0: 150 bucks
4: yeah it's about 150 bucks but um it is it looks like it's about uh, you know, it's going to take up a, almost a square foot of the table, so it's pretty big. Um, it's uh, there. The detail is great. Um, there isn't a lot of skulls on it, um, but it is very <laughs> yeah. That's one fantasy. thing about the GW stuff. It, it, it's very Lots fantasy themed, but you don't have to, you know, live with a bunch of skulls. So um, yep. that's the only thing that I would say that's bad about GW stuff. But we all know that that's what GW does. And yep. we all still love it, so whatever. <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I have to say, actually, um, there are, there are very few armies that don't come with a lot of skulls.
4: Yeah, uh, I haven't really seen any on the new dwarves. Thankfully, it's true. Uh, I like yeah, it. that, I think that they,
0: yeah. they seem to be like look, going with the the forces of order. Seem to have less. Lo- a Lot less skulls than they all used about to. Skulls, though. Yeah. All yeah.
1: of their symbology is skulls. Empire are, but but like yeah. the Bretonians, high and elves generally not too. High scully.
0: elves not because no. the dark elves are very skully Like That's every. Fair every dark elf seems to have a skull on him somewhere do we
2: have a scully scale by any chance
0: <laughs> scully scale how many skulls yeah <laughs> I love
1: skulls honestly I go out of my way to put more skulls well that's because you're a filthy like, uh, beast chaos on the dwarf, bases. dwarf yeah, scumbag yeah. Yeah. to show all the people I've been slaughtering
3: <laughs> yeah mm.
0: well it's like even when we we're painting up the forest it's like this is a nice happy wood elf forest no it's got like 47 skulls on the it. Forest yeah. the forest is full of skulls as yeah, well yeah. just yeah. around the base just around the base of the trees and there's all stuff you can hang on them you know you can have somebody hanging there is, is like a dead dead skeleton hanging mm. in the tree i didn't put any of that on it mm. but anyway okay so we're kind of veering off topic here <laughs> um, <laughs> so there's there's three <laughs> options for for purchasing um you know obviously um i've i've also seen um a few different vendors um who will custom build uh um, buildings and other uh um, scenery for you if you purchase through them via eBay, it's kind of interesting. They 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 run an eBay auction and they show stuff that they've they've already built. And it's like I'll you know pay this amount, buy it now, and I will custom build you something of this caliber, right? Yeah, um, to suit you. And and that's kind of neat as well. If you need to get you know um, uh, again a, a big scenery piece or a bunch of scenery in a hurry, there's another a, a potential option. So. So we've kind of run the gamut there, from from easy on the hobby side through to you know uh, in depth and a, and a hobby within the hobby, and then you know from the cheapest uh, sort of ready to go purchasing through to the um, crazy high end um, <laughs> tabletop uh, all sort yeah. of stuff. Yeah, great. So that um, I think that kind of wraps up uh, buildings. The
1: art of war.
0: Art is kind of taking a backseat to the math of war.
1: <laughs> Not the art of war, the science yes, of war. Yes, the maybe. science of
0: war. Uh, there's a lot of math involved in, in Warhammer. Um, yeah.
1: And it's kind of your choice as to how much you really engage with that math or uh, how much you just kind of throw the dice and
0: yeah, and i think I think that that um we all do it on some level
1: everybody does a little math hammer f- at some level for sure,
0: and so what we wanted to do was kind of go through um you know probably the most common pieces of math hammer right um demystify them a little bit um uh if if they are at all mystical to you at the moment <laughs> um and uh uh talk through kind of our approaches to to handling math hammer um both during list building and while we're mm. while we're on the battlefield sure and so i say yeah some like, of the shortcuts that you can potentially mm. take so go ahead tom
1: so well yeah i was just gonna say the kind of the situations in which you do math hammer like you said list building and then during a game to help you make decisions and of course, everybody's favorite kind of math hammer is working out how badly the dice screwed you over in a game. <laughs> <laughs> so you can say things like, I would have won if the, if the dice had just rolled averagely, yeah. etc. Yep. So that's the kind of post-game analysis math hammer.
0: Yep, yep. Uh, the over-the-beer math hammer. Sure. Okay, so so to start off, um, let's talk a little bit about, uh, about dice and probability. Mm-hmm. Um, go ahead, Tom.
1: Oh, so, it seems like the two, the two types of probability that we're really concerned about in Warhammer the most are first, the probabilities of summing across a number of different dice. Um, in other words, roll a bunch of dice and what score are you going to get when you add up all those dice. So, examples would be just two dice for probability test, for, um, I mean, leadership tests. Um, charge ranges things like that and then of course throwing more dice and adding them up for things like spells okay. and then the other type of probability is kind of individual probabilities of dice rolls but when you repeat that over however many times like rolling 40 different attacks
0: close combat is, close what combat we're talking is about. yeah yep.
1: so each one is an independent event but you're doing it roll to X hit a number of times roll to play. wound yeah, yeah. So then you Armor have this little probability chain. Yeah. Yeah. Little yeah. probability chains you can work out. Cool. So I guess maybe let's talk about the first, the first one of those cases first, which is summing across different dice, <clears throat> and the the math we're doing here is really probability distributions and um, understanding probability distributions.
0: So so let's, let's start with the absolute basic: rolling rolling a single d six. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a one in six chance that you're right. going to roll any given number of Six on that possible D6. outcomes, yep. and
1: each one of them has a probability of one in six. Yep, okay. If the dice is unbiased, but that's an entirely different thing. <laughs> <laughs> well, just, just because you buy stupid dice doesn't mean the rest of us do. <laughs> well, every dice is a little biased. Yeah,
0: that's true. That, well, except for the ones in Vegas, right? Except
1: for the, I actually read something about they tested like wargaming dice against casino dice. Yeah. And wargaming dice apparently in general roll a one a fifth of the time rather than a sixth of the time. And it's to do with, um, curved edges on dice. All
0: right. So I'm bringing my <laughs> Vegas dice to the yeah. next warm. I've got some, my wife bought me some,
4: all right. Sorry. Anyway, so that's a sidetrack. Aren't those like sixteen mil, Like those big?
0: They are big dice, but I'm going <laughs> to use them for my for <laughs> my charge distances. Yeah,
4: the
3: general uh, one. And
0: guys. I'll roll the round edge ones for my leadership <laughs> tests. See <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> so you of yeah. different dice. That's that right. Gets suspicious. Jeez. It's not suspicious. It's just math, Hammer.
3: <laughs> mm.
1: So anyway, one dice. Yeah, six outcomes. A one in six probability of each outcome, and then. In Warhammer, we're generally not interested in the probability of a single outcome, but the the probability of getting some score or higher, or some score or lower. Yep. So again, just rolling one dice. If you're looking for a four or higher, you just add up the probability of getting a four, probability of a five, and the probability of six, which is so obviously a half. A half. Yeah. Simple yep. math, Hammer, that everybody knows. <laughs>
0: Yep, no, that's good. So now um, that we've got then the basics, And i moving bases. on to
1: the slightly more complicated um, scenario of two dice rolls. So like I men- mentioned before, two dice are used for leadership tests, charge distances. Is there anything else? Probably, but that's the most common one. Those are the most common ones. So again, when we roll two dice, there's 36 different possible combinations, right? Dice A can take any one of six. Um, values and dice b can take any one of six values so we have 36 different possibilities each with a one in 36 chance but of course what we're interested in is the sum of the two numbers for which there is not 36 different options but only 11 different options right yep ranging from two all the way up to 12
0: yep so one on dice a and one on dice b Is one of the 36 combinations. And that's the only one that gets you a two. Yeah. So the chance is one in 36. (laughs) And likewise, the same for boxcars, right? Is is one in 36. That's the top end.
1: So now we get a probability distribution for for rolling two dice, in which for each one of those actual numbers, you have to add up all the combinations that there are of making. Um, So, like you mentioned, for a two, there's only one possible way to get a two. So there's a 1 in 36 chance, but for a 3, there's two possible different ways of getting a 3, right?
0: So dice A has a 1, dice B has a Mm 2, or Or. dice A has a 2 and dice B has a 1.
1: Indeed. So a 2 in 36 or a 1 in 18 chance. Okay. And as you keep going up the numbers...
0: Ricky's face palming here. He's like, I just want to throw six dice.
1: Pretty, pretty advanced <laughs> math, Hammer.
4: Yeah. I just want to make it look pretty. <laughs>
1: but as we start going up those numbers, they start to get more and more probable.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: A four has, with uh, a four has, how many different possible ways of getting it? Three different ways. Yeah. So yeah. one,
0: three, two, two, three, one.
1: And it keeps getting more and more probable until we get to a seven. Okay. A 7 is the most probable outcome. Which has 6 possible? 6 different possibilities. So 6
0: out of 36 is 1 in 6. 1
1: in 6 chance. Okay. So the most probable outcome is a 7. And if we want to work out the probability of getting a 7 or lower, then we just need to add up the probability of a 2, which was 1 in 36, the and probability, so and so on, yeah, yeah, yeah. until you get your value. So... So, thankfully, there's a cheat sheet. Thankfully, the way that people would do this in a real game is to look at tables of probability that have already been calculated. Yep. Um, But it's useful to know, like, where those probabilities come from. Yep. So... So so,
0: so tell us, what is the probability of rolling? So seven is the most likely uh, on any uh, rolling two dice. But even then, it's only a one and six chance. Mm-hmm. So what's the probability of, uh, you know, most of us are, are rolling leadership. This is leadership test, sure. right? Let's think about um, leadership tests. We, we want to roll like um, somewhere between seven and ten or less, Right. So right. let let's say I mean most of us are rolling sort of nine or less is is a normal sort of leadership test for any given army. So few or ten, a very unlucky few are, are are only seven or eight. But but it, <laughs> goblins. No, he gets yeah. up to nine with his oh, standard of nine? discipline and well scarsnick. Yeah, uh, otherwise. <laughs> otherwise you're <laughs> screwed. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Otherwise I'm screwed. But yeah. but let's say so. What's what's nine? The chances of rolling nine or less on two d six is eighty three
1: percent. Okay, so that's actually pretty, pretty good. good. Yeah, pretty good. So the, the interesting thing is because of the shape of that probability distribution, um, the chan the, the the marginal kind of advantage you get from leadership ten over leadership nine is smaller than the advantage you get from leadership nine over leadership eight right so in other words getting an extra pip of of leadership from nine to ten is nice but not as important as getting the extra pip from eight to nine so what's the difference (laughs) yeah give us the what's the bracket either side Um, so you gain 11 percentage points going from eight to nine, you go from 72% likelihood from 80 to 83% likelihood. Whereas when you go from nine to 10, you go from 83% to 91%. So you're only improving by eight percentage points. Mm. Okay. So really like including items to get you up to leadership nine is a pretty good idea. Getting up to 10 is obviously nice, but it's not the be all and yeah. end all.
0: Yeah. And, and that, you know, kind of reflects, even if I didn't calculate all the math stuff beforehand, that kind of reflects my real world experience, sure. which, which is why I, I don't take a Lord level elf character. Right. You as a general see it as like essential. It's not essential. Okay. So that's, that's kind of the two dice. Um, that's the
1: two dice distribution. distribution. And then um, as we add dice, we again, just have a, you know you can calculate a probability distribution for any number coming out um of those dice rolls and people have tabulated all of this already yep so you wouldn't have to sit there and calculate it in a game
0: okay so so um i guess the the obvious one that we should kind of go into next is the is the spell casting one cuz right. that's that's still a probability distribution yeah right this is now where you've got your your whatever number of dice, which is, you know, most likely to be a seven, as we just calculated. <laughs> right. Um, but, oh,
1: there you go. You roll two dice for Winds of Magic. Yeah, That's yeah.
0: Well. Two dice for Winds of Magic. And then you've got a, a you know, a one in six chance of channeling mm-hmm. to add on top of that. So so we've got some number of dice. <laughs> uh, X number of X dice. X number of dice. And we're trying to figure out how many dice should I throw at this spell to make sure that right. it goes off. Right, because
1: the magic phase is an optimization problem. If, if yep. you think of it purely in terms of I'm trying to get as many spells through as possible yep so using the minimum number of dice on each spell while maintaining some pretty high degree of confidence that i'm going to get each of those spells through yeah so so there's
0: actually two thoughts that have to go into each spell casting one is will it go off at all so that i don't lose concentration and the second is will i get a high enough result that my opponent won't just be able Mm -hmm. to dispel it or or how many dice is it going to cost my opponent sure. to dispel it? That's kind of really the. So second there's a bunch decision. of psychology
1: that goes into the magic there's phase as well. In terms that, let's ignore that. In terms of trying to now. beat the dice out and yeah, stuff yeah. But yeah. ignore, let's ignore that. Like, let's just look pure at the numbers. Purely mathematical perspective. Yeah. So let let me ask you then. Let me ask you, if you you know you're trying to get as many spells through as possible, mm-hmm. how confident do you want to be? that each spell is going to go through when you when you select how many dice to use for it. 80%. 80%? I yeah. like that too. Yeah. I like 80%. Um, so we, we have some tables here. 100%. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Just going to go we ahead. We have a table <laughs> from a guy called Aaron Chapman, who's got this math hammer uh, cheat sheet online, and he kind of tells you how many dice he'd recommend you to use to reach any number in a spell casting. Mm-hmm. And he calculates that based on a 90% probability, which I think is a little bit, you know, over the top. It's a game of chance, and you've got to embrace that to some degree and yep. accept that. Some of your spells just aren't going to go Some are off, not going to go through.
0: And that's why you have Tree Man for the rest of your magic phase,
1: right? Yeah, you know?
4: but, uh, you know, 90%, <laughs> if you if you want to be able to cast the next spell, then it's important to get that first it spell. It is. That, so, that's very true. That's yeah. true. Yeah. But yeah. I'm going
1: to say in general, I kind of like the 80% rule yeah. as well. Which um, is why
4: you never miscast <laughs> <laughs> that's true
1: yeah
0: so so let's let's talk about the eighty percent rule um let, let let's look at that uh right so we've really we've got um you know discounting the one dicing Mm-hmm. uh we're talking about two two through six dice sure uh what's the probability? Of uh, uh, you know w- uh, what number do you roll at eighty percent? Sure. For so each that's, of those. So
1: I just did that little calculation before I left, actually, because I like the eighty percent, eighty percent rule as well, and that wasn't in this table. So uh, I just, cal- folks, I, I just want t- to
0: point out that neither Tom nor I uh, talked about this no, beforehand. We
1: didn't. We we both just share this eighty percent. That, that's kind of um, cool benchmark, I guess. So yeah, I, I calculated exactly what you said, which is the number you will get eighty percent of the time. I throw an X number of dice. Okay. So if you throw one dice rounded up, you're going to get a two 80% of the time. If you throw two dice, you're going to get five 80%, five or higher 80% yep. of the time. Um, you got exactly between a seven and eight. When you throw three dice, 11 for four dice, 14 and then 16 for five and six dice. So think of your favorite spells and the casting value you need for them and those numbers are going to kind of tell you how many dice you should throw to be 80% confident, 80% confident of the spell we're going through.
0: So so it's important to note then you've got to add your plus whatever your mage level is right? Sure, on top sure. of that. Right. So to, to go back to your two dice example, um, you said 80% of the time you roll a f- five or better. Um, so nine or more um if you've got a level four sure. wizard, which is so so this to tie that back to real world, Throne of vines, um, <laughs> right, is uh, as as you've experienced many times against me, uh, the uh, most annoying spell. Most annoying spell. I always throw two dice at oh, it, and always first. Oh, first thing like, I do. Yes, that's a psychology, but we'll go into exactly. that another, another podcast. It's
1: like let's 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 see whether you want to lose all your dice here. Yeah, and then dwellers is coming. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, nah. what can I say? <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> Hey, I need every advantage I can get. Once they rewrite the Wood Elf book, I'll be just like, screw you guys. I'm still going to take life. Anyway, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, two dice uh, on the Throne of Vines, it needs an eight to go off, mm-hmm. right? So I'm giving myself that plus four from my wizard, uh, a greater than 80% chance, right? Whereas if I just threw the one dice at it, um, I would you know, obviously have a very low percentage chance sure. of it going off. Um, I think it would be a 50 50 at that point. So,
1: bringing this back to something Ricky said earlier, I don't like miscasting in general. Yep. I used to be pretty cavalier about miscasting when I played the Beastmen. Well, because I... you had like five exactly. wizards or something. Now yeah. I switch to Chaos Dwarfs. My wizard is also my general, and he costs about 400 points. Um, so I really and wow. he's gonna take most of a like 500 point unit with him if he dimension <laughs> So I really don't like miscasting anymore. I go with law of metal because there's generally pretty low casting values across the board. The biggest one is uh, trans, uh final transmutation. A 15. Great spell it needs a 15 to go off, which means with my level four, I need an 11. So I'm good 80% of the time with four dice.
0: Okay. Actually, I think that segues nicely into the the flip side of of spellcasting, which is what's the probability of your rolling a miscast? Mm,
1: indeed. And I was when I looked at these numbers, I was actually kind of surprised, because doesn't it seem like when you roll six dice? most of the time you get irresistible force
0: i know what the odds are it's, i know what the odds are as well it's what What do you like, so so do you guys know what the odds are
2: absolutely not. what would you guess i think I, I think i remember i don't know okay
0: what would you guess the odds are of rolling two sixes or more on on six dice
1: uh are He's we
4: are we, ta- uh, no, are we talking about a percentage yeah percentage yeah. chance like five percent
1: what you yeah. think it's that low
4: Yeah, I think it's
1: pretty low. You think that only 5% of the time you roll six dice, you end up... That seems to be what happens to me. I feel like when I roll six dice... At least fifty percent of the time. Yeah, I was going to say about exists. half the time. Yeah, it, it seems it's like twenty four percent. It's actually twenty six. Twenty six percent. Twenty six.
4: Yeah, yeah i'm so crazy not a, to So me. I was off by what 20 yeah, yeah. yeah. But I really, <laughs> so I really,
1: bad. genuinely did think it was a lot more likely than that, just based on like personal experience. That's, I mean, that's I guess really you tend to bad. remember those cases. Yeah. 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 I
4: throw I throw six dice. I'm throwing seven dice all the time, but but one die doesn't count, right? Right. Mm. But you know.
0: Well, look at Taylor. He rolled uh, uh, fifteen. He rolled six dice fifteen times at the last tournament, trying to get a dimensional cascade to get that template, Mm. and he only got one miscast out of fifteen. Yeah. Um. So that that kind of shows you that.
1: It's true. It's like the. It is a
0: lower odds than you than you might possibly think. So So that's your chance of miscasting at six dice. Um, let's talk a little bit about how that's calculated. Um, it just goes back to what you were saying. If you think there's six dice. Um, so you know, across six dice, you actually have six to the uh, power of six possible combinations. I don't know right. what that exact number is, right. um, But you know, of all of those possible combinations you need to count up all of the ones that are two sixes or, all the ones or that are three
1: sixes, all the ones that are four sixes. Yeah. yeah. yeah.
0: So dice one and two could have two sixes. Dice one and three could have, be sixes and so forth. Um, and that's, that's quite a number, which is why you end up getting the uh, sure. 26% possible chance.
1: So what, what do you think about using these like probability tables in games? Do you do it or do you see your opponents do it sometimes? And what do you, what, how do you feel about it?
4: I've never seen anybody use them
1: No.
0: I've never done it, um, but I also have a head for numbers. Yeah, so so I kind of have a reasonable idea of what those percentage chances are. Yeah,
1: either either kind of compute like a complete ballpark number in my ballpark in my head, or I just have like a kind of instinctive sense of how many dice should be required to get a number. Yeah, so I don't use these tables in a game.
2: I've actually seen people bring the uh, the table, like have it printed on their army book and they just look <clears throat> at it and mm-hmm. just like stop and think before they roll and whatnot. And I, I don't know. I have sort of mixed feelings about that. I mean, personally for me, like I look at my favorite spells and I actually wrote down on the little cards like what the kind of ideal amount that I want to like probability wise because I don't know. It's just I, I find it really disappointing when I throw dice at a spell and it doesn't go off and it just kind of yeah. you know screws me over i don't see any phase. problem with
4: people
1: doing
2: it no, well. I, don't, no. I
4: don't think
1: there's a problem so, but it's better than them like getting their pe- pencil and paper out and like doing the right, compute, right. The computation right there and as something. long
2: as it's fast and keeps
3: the
4: game going yeah right, as yeah, long sure. as they aren't wasting i mean time it's, a, it. it's
0: a game of numbers and dice exactly um, anything that speeds it up is good in my book sure yeah, yeah.
4: so i had a question um does the 26 percent go down significantly the less dice you roll or does it actually stay pretty high?
1: It goes from 20% at 5 dice to 26% at 6 dice. And then... So it goes
0: from one, basically 1 in 5 to 1 in 4.
1: Yeah. And then at 4 dice, you're at 13% chance. Okay which is uh, like a one in seven
4: and a half. Yeah. And yeah. then with two dice, you're in one in 36 again. Is that what it is? Yeah. Two oh, dice basically. is one in 36. Uh, one and See, I actually listened a well little done.
1: bit. Well <laughs> done. What's three dice? Math Hammer 101. Do, we, do we have three dice? Uh, three there? dice is 7.4% chance. Okay. Yeah,
0: it's pretty yeah. small. Yeah. Although, unless your name is, is Aaron, and you're playing Lizardman, and you've got your <laughs> Slan in Temple Guard, or, in which case you cast things with three dice, and, uh, and you you will miscast every game.
4: Yeah, mm-hmm. or or his, or his vampire too. Yeah.
0: Well, his vampire I don't mind so much because he can regrow his unit, but, but his <laughs> slan seems to self-destruct. And-,
1: <laughs> and here's a reason to to not like consider throwing too many spells at a dark elf unit that has the Ring of Hotek. So explain what the Ring of Hotek does. So the Ring of hotec if you throw a spell at a unit that contains it, then any double you get causes a miscast, but does not cause irresistible force. Okay. So the chance of getting any double when you throw dice is, as you would expect, just way higher than the chance of a double six. So even at three dice, you're looking at close to a 50% chance of having a miscast when you try and cast something on that unit. Wow. Which sucks. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And if you six dice...
1: (laughs) 99.5% <laughs> 99.5% chance.
0: Ouch. It's very difficult to roll 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6. There's only six possible combinations. Right. For that. Um, or thereabouts, anyway. Well, maybe there's more. But either way, it's really small. Either way, yeah. yeah. You don't want to do so, that. So no six-dicing dwellers at that unit, then? Well, unless you, unless you don't <laughs> care.
1: If, yeah, unless you don't <laughs> care. Throw yeah, the vines, yeah. baby. Honestly, yeah. <laughs> when, when a unit has that degree of magic protection, people are going to be, like, putting all their characters in there for protection yeah so the like you do a cost benefit it's a, analysis it's a, exactly and the, yeah. cost, right. the benefits of is it only
4: when it targets, it targets that unit yeah oh so my vortex who cares That's who true. cares yeah just i would throw send my vortex, vortex. vortex right, right through it <laughs> right. take that <laughs> Take that, stupid dark elves
0: okay so so we've talked about um the the uh probability distributions right that's of kind, kind of, of what, summing across dice, sum, summing yeah. across yep so let's talk about the other which is you know uh, lots
1: of independent events yeah trying to work to, out how to many hit of them to wound armor
0: save sure. board save and then and then we'll go into the the discussion about re-rolls as sure.
1: well sure oh yeah okay mm, probability chains
0: okay so so talk us through that tom
1: well so everybody has a probably a pretty good intuitive sense of how this works as well, but it's probably worth taking it back to, like, the the principle of statistics that this is based on. So let's say you know the probability. So let's just take the simplest case of a single dice that represents a single attack you're making against another unit. Mm-hmm. Let's say you know the probability of it hitting and the probability of wounding. Just based on comparing weapon skills and strength and toughness, so how do you calculate the probability that that one dice is gonna hit and then wound? That's a question to the class
0: oh okay, so <laughs> so if my probability of of hitting let's say i'm um, is is two and three because I'm, I'm hitting on a three up okay, and my probability of wounding is probably one and three because I'm a puny strength three <laughs> <laughs> um, so then then i I multiply those together.
1: Yes. Mm. Indeed. So I get
0: a a 2 and 3 multiplied by 1 and 3 gives me a whopping 2, two and nine. 9 chance.
1: Yep. Yeah. So that's one of the the rules of statistics the multiplic- multiplication law of if you want to know the probability of two independent events happening you multiply that probabilities yep. together. So the probability of hitting and then wounding is the probability of hitting multiplied by the probability of wounding.
0: Yep. And so so then the, the next two rolls okay. that you got to make are the uh the rolls for armor save mm-hmm. and ward save. And and it, the same principle applies um except what you got to remember in your head is that it's actually the inverse that you're trying to figure out. So um as as the player who's attacking you're trying to figure out how many dudes am i going to kill right
1: how many successes do i make not what's the probability of each success happening
0: right and so so a success for you is actually a failed armor save sure right and a failed ward save Uh uh-huh so so if someone has a three-up armor save again against my strength three... So
1: we've already got a 2 and 9 two chance and nine of chance. hitting, then wounding.
0: Yep. And then I've got a one-in-three chance of... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <It's> <laughs> <bad>. I don't even... It's
4: looking bad. I would never get to this. I would never get to the end of the chain. I'm like Flip the table and walk <laughs> So a
0: one-in-three chance of actually wounding with that three-up armor mm-hmm. save, which brings it down to a 2 and 27 mm-hmm. And then let's say they had a, a shield... So they had a six up parry well, that's actually a five and six chance of me uh getting past that, so then my two and twenty seven becomes a ten and whatever six times twenty seven is which is a hundred and twenty Good hundred and sixty two um so six in hundred and sixty two which is three and a hundred uh, three and fifty four three and fifty four chance yeah, which that is, sounds about right, which I is not great that's that's but... that's like a six percent chance right of, of winning something that is. With your strength three, uh, a higher weapon skill. Uh, they've got a three-up armor save and a six-up shield. So I'm thinking about, you know, w- warriors here, maybe. Um, right. I've got dwarves. Uh, <laughs> right? Yeah, I have only got a six percent warfs. chance of getting a wound through. Point will right. Kick your ass. Okay, so now let's go. That's for one dude. That's for one dude. How do we work it out for, you know, ten dudes?
1: Right. So you can just take that individual probability and multiply it by by however many attacks you're making. All what most people just end up doing in their head is just start from the top thinking, I've got 20 attacks. Half of them are going to hit. I have 10 hits. Of those, half are going to wound. Now I have five wounds and continue it. That's on like how that. I do it. Yeah. Exactly. So that's how, that's the intuitive way to do it. But, uh, you know, I wanted to show that it relates back to the simple multiplication rule of probabilities.
0: And, and the reason it's important is because of rerolls right? re This is the reason that it's important to talk equalizer. about that math. Yeah. So, so let's go into the math behind the re-rolls. Um, re-rolls. uh, let's, let's start with, with where we're at here. Like, as if we had ASF or hatred or something sure. like that.
1: So the probability to hit if we can re-roll a failure.
0: Yeah. So let's take the simple case, right? We're, we're hitting on a four up. Sure. Um, so, uh, what's the, what's then the probability that we're going to hit if we've got a re-roll? 75%. So what's the math behind that? So
1: the math, you're using two different rules of statistics, the multiplication rule that we've just talked about, and then the addition rule that is we're looking for one, of, we're looking for the chance of either event happening. Okay. So the math that you do is the probability of hitting on the first time round, 50%, yep. plus the probability of missing on the first time, but then hitting on the second time. Yep. So the probability of hitting the first time round is 50%. The probability of missing and then hitting is 50% multiplied by 50% again. So 25%. Yep.
0: So Point
1: five times point five is 0. 0.25.
0: Yeah. Right? <laughs> Ricky, Ricky's mind is blown. He's, He's like, like I gotta, I gotta go paint 50%. some miniatures just to get this math out of my head.
4: <laughs> Give me a brush already. I'm, mm. I'm done here. <laughs> yeah,
1: so, so this is something that that you actually see people making kind of st- like errors in their math hammer with sometimes. And, mm. and
0: I think the key thing is actually not when you're not when you're on a four up to hit, but when you're on a three up, um, because it's a huge difference, right? Yeah, three up to hit with a reroll mm-hmm. becomes an eight out of nine chance of hitting, and we've seen right. that with Belagar wow. so and two in the pit. out of
1: three plus one out of three times two out of three and the way that i right. like
0: to calculate it and this is an easier way to do it is what's my chances of failure mm-hmm. sure. um, and just multiply those two together right so so i've only got a one in nine chance of failing on two rolls right one in three chance of failing followed by another one in three chance of failing is sure. one in nine which means i've got an eight in nine chance of succeeding yeah it's a little easier to do math. Sure. at least for me anyway it's a little easier to do the sure math.
4: Um, and me we've seen that we've, seen that with, me, so. <laughs> <laughs> we've seen that with we've seen that with
0: Belagar right you know he has eight attacks mm-hmm. and he's usually hitting on a three plus with rerolls right. and so he's usually like uh, at a minimum I think we've had six hits yeah but it should right? be seven it should be seven on average really, yeah. and we've seen eight like today when he yeah. he murdered Checkex <laughs> <laughs> um, so
1: sorry to bring that up again really. yeah it's all right it's all right. <laughs> He yeah. looks pretty. He looked pretty mm. as he, he went down: yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, well, they both look great. So that's
0: the reroll. Um, and the same goes for rerolling to wound. Um, uh, other trickster shard with rerolling to ward save works, sure. works along the same principle. So you can extract exactly. that and work it all out. And occasionally what I've done is is uh, and yes, because I'm a hammer nerd about these things I'll put it all in a spreadsheet, mm-hmm. and I'll figure out, you know, um, what's the right equipment? For my character to take knowing that i'm facing a demon prince right Mm -hmm. or knowing that i'm facing an old blood on a cold one with a one-up re-rollable armor save followed by a four-up ward right Mm -hmm. Uh, what's my greatest chance of killing him is is killing blow better here you know um all these sorts of things so
1: so just to to bring the two different sections of this math hammer talk back together in the second half obviously what we've been talking about is the um you know the, the the probability of getting you hit and then wound, whatever, which translates to the average number of wounds you should end up doing with with a certain number of attacks. Yep. But of course, for that certain number of attacks, there's an entire probability distribution in terms of the number of wounds you might end up doing. And we're just using our math to pick out the expected value, the mean value right in the middle of yep. that probability distribution. Um, I'm sure somebody has, you know, there might be apps out there for calculating these probability distributions given any matchup between units, but probably if you're taking the you, math hammer to that level in a game, you're not enjoying your game yeah, enough. Yeah,
0: and so, I think the mean <laughs> is, is as far as you really need to go exactly. to figure out, you know, am I, am I uh, all things considered, am I more likely to win, lose, or sure. try this, so it's this worth, fight? So it's
1: worth just, like, the reason you'd be doing this math in a game situation is when you're making a decision like, you know, should I make this charge? For example, is this unit likely to beat that one? Should I instead try and redirect that unit and try and get two units in fighting it if my odds don't look good of you know beating it just with this one unit? Yeah. Well. So. Oh yeah. No, go ahead.
2: I, I was going to say actually, using this line of thinking, it's really useful before the game. Oh um, yeah. Something that I like exactly. to do is I like to take my characters and actually do the reverse, mm. where I'm like, okay, I'm going to give them a four ward save. Okay, that means that he needs to hit me, or he has to do two successful uh, wounds to me before he actually does a wound. And then I throw on a 1-up armor save, which then I'm like, okay, that's a 1-6 chance. So multiply that by what I had before, the 2, so now he needs to do 12 successful uh, wounds to me. And actually, it, it becomes really useful to... Uh, Figuring out, like, okay, if I have a lone character that I'm going to be throwing against units because he has crown of command or something like that, okay, how many how many uh, attacks can he handle? Mm. And sort of working backwards. Sure.
0: Yep.
1: So this is the kind of a priori math hammer that you do even before a game when you're designing your list. Yep. Yeah, um, for sure. But it's all, like we were saying, you know, it's really, in the game, it's enough to just Think about those expected values and just convince yourself that your unit should beat the other unit. And then if it doesn't, you can just blame the dice. And yep. You have something to moan about, which the we all dice. love. Goddamn dice. Yeah.
0: So I want to talk about uh, three other situations. Sure. Um, special cases. Special cases. Uh, first is uh, cold-blooded or situations like that. Mm. Uh, Swift stride is another one where you're rolling three dice and either picking the highest two or the lowest two.
1: Right. I have those probabilities tabulated here actually, but but go on, So go on. so let's
0: talk about the theory there. Um uh you know, how do we how do we figure out, you know, what the probability is in that sort of situation? Uh you're looking at You go ahead. Yeah.
1: I, I haven't actually thought about this from a from a math perspective. So before. so it's the
0: same it's the same Let's we'll do the three dice down to two dice. Sure. It's it's exactly the same as what we were talking about earlier um you you have you know on three dice you have um what do you have 216 possible combinations sure. um of those 216 combinations um one ends up dropping down uh, y- y- one ends up having a higher dice than the other two and that gives you then a finite number of of combinations that you end up choosing from sure. um and so so let's take an example of of uh let, let's do the cold blooded example. Do you got is that what you've got in front of you? Yeah, I have it, yeah. Yeah. So so it's it's actually a fairly significant drop, and anyone who's played against Lizard or with Lizard Man will have seen this. Um let's take Leadership Eight as an example, because that's the sorus leadership. Mm-hmm. Um so so the probability of making a leadership test on two D six for leadership eight is Um seventy two percent. On two D six, right? on 3d6 drop low a uh, drop highest it is 90%. 90%. So Pretty having good. leadership 8 on on uh cold-blooded is equivalent to having almost it's a, almost 21% difference from having leadership 10.
1: Yeah, and it's only about 2% different from having your leadership 8 but having a reroll through a BSB or something. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah.
0: And that's actually the second point that I wanted to do was was re rolls because of the BSB. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's the same as what we were talking about before. It's the probability of you not making it, um, uh, plus so so you
1: prob- it's your probability of succeeding the first time round plus the probability of failing then succeeding.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, um, and so so what you were just saying there is leadership eight with a re roll.
1: Gives gets you, you to ninety-two percent. Ninety-two percent leadership nine with a reroll gets you to ninety-seven percent. So just looking at this table, the interesting thing that stands out is that rather than you know going up in leadership points, it's actually much more effective to just get a reroll a through a BSB, yeah. Yeah, that's or or a gleaming effective.
0: pennant, which you've used a, a very good effect on multiple times. in the sure. army right yeah. there. Yeah, five point. Um, oh yeah, Beautiful magic standard item. You um, know, if you
1: have something some unit that needs to be functioning outside of the leadership bubble and is already pretty likely of making leadership tests, but you want to have that insurance for when it just, you know, a statistical anomaly occurs and it goes wrong. It's a great insurance item.
0: Yeah so so that that was two and the last one that i want to talk about is the probabilities for spell selection mm. um do i know you, this is
1: something you think mm, about a lot yeah because you do lore of life and always seem to end up getting screwed over by I, I not getting dwellers below or something well
0: uh so so the tricky part with uh well let's not go into that um, <laughs> my personal <laughs> Too many bad memories my personal Too many story bad memories. About i think the, the tricky part life. with lore of life versus other lores is is the lack of good signature spell um but but let's talk about the probability. What, you
1: don't want to you don't want regen on a unit that you're gonna keep a squishy elf mage in. <laughs> a five up regen at yeah, that.
0: Yeah. Okay. Uh, um. So so let's let's uh do do you have the probabilities for spell selection? I do not. Okay. no. I think I should be able to pull them up um pretty quickly. Okay. Um. And it and it's actually you know it's building on the same math. Um,
1: but I have. I mean, I'm just pulling this number out the air. But I heard that if there's really just one spell that you're interested in. And you have a level four, and with all the different ways of getting that spell, like rolling it directly or rolling any double and being able being able to select it, overall it gives you like a ninety five percent probability of getting that spell. Yeah, or I've something. heard that too. Is that right? It is not that high. Not that high. Okay. Uh-huh. No, I'll be interested to know exactly how high it is. Um,
0: I'm I'm just uh bringing up the the table as we speak. Um, it is actually only ninety percent. So assuming you have got Shouldn't a level I
3: just say, oh nice at ninety five you said ninety five okay, yeah
0: um, assuming you have a level four wizard um, the the probability of of getting one particular spell right so you're is just interested in getting that one spell. one particular spell is ninety percent
1: sure okay uh,
0: the trick the problem with lore of life is you generally want actually I I particularly want four spells. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yeah. but uh, you know, even getting two of them is 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 sure. tricky.:
1: That's why I like lore of metal. It has a little bit of redundancy in it, so I't there's not a, a specific set of four spells that I need to get.
0: And, and we should use uh, we should go into magic as our next as our next art Let's of do it.. Yeah. so great. So the chances, uh, in case you're wondering, um, the the chances of getting the spell that you want, the one spell that you want. Based on your wizard level, a level one, it's it's obviously one in six, right. so sixteen and two thirds chance. A level two, it's a forty four percent chance. A level three, it's a seventy two percent chance. So not as low as you might have thought. Like mm. the difference between level three and level four yeah, is only eighteen percent. So taking a level three wizard is still pretty viable if all you need is access to one spell.
1: If uh, you're happy with 70%. If you're um, happy with 70. Well, it's 72.2%, which is, two, okay. you know,
0: almost a uh, three and four chance. So it's not it's not bad. Um, but, yeah, uh, 90%. I mean, even with 90%, there's been times when I've rolled, you know, two, three, four, five, and gone, oh, <laughs> really. Uh, or or worse Now, this yet.
4: is assuming you just have one level four, right? That's or, assuming you just have one level four. One wizard. Right, one wizard on that level. To, so if you have another that rolls... To right. block a spell. Say so also okay. takes
1: the level one of life. Which then I he, can't do, but let's say you I could. Do, but let's
4: say <laughs> yeah. you could. Yeah. Then
1: he'd roll that guy first. And as long as he gets any you know, if he Double gets any spells, not dwellers, yeah then it gives him an even better chance of getting dwellers with his level four. Yeah, he can absolutely. Out In them. fact, it
0: would be very close to a hundred percent, maybe ninety sure. ninety nine or ninety eight percent at that point. Nice. Yeah.
1: Okay.
0: Okay, cool. Um do we want to talk about this? Or do we want to leave that for a movement phase section? Or do it's we to up do? to
1: you guys. Well, it's kind of, let's just talk about it briefly because it's kind of a, a completely different style of math hammer. What we have in front of us is something that Ricky has made by doing a bit of trigonometry hammer. Is this,
3: that, what it, is that what it would be, right. be called? Yeah, <laughs> these,
0: these are <laughs> uh, it, really. beautiful um, movement arcs. Um, so... So to describe what's in front of us, we have we have. Do you want to maybe talk us through it, Ricky?
4: Uh, yeah, I, I, I'll go ahead and talk about why I made these, and then yeah, the um, problem we're trying to solve. Yeah. So what I've noticed, uh, well, I was I was going to be teaching some very new players how to play the game, and one of the the hardest habits to break for people is learning the movement phase wrong, mm-hmm. um, and not not actually wheeling correctly. Um, people often don't really do a wheel they do more of of a pivot
1: yeah or something that looks more like a reform yeah they kind of yeah pass off as a wheel
4: yeah and um i wanted to really help drive home the difference between a wheel and a reform to these people so i was going to make a quick visual aid that was like oh let's just uh show show what an arc and really quickly at the width of that unit and and do a bunch of inch ticks on the across the arc, so that people could see exactly how far that unit could move on their wheel, and then they could measure for the inches past that right. um but then I kind of got really surprised at and I'm I was sheer, shocked when I saw these the the sheer number well. of inches that go into a true wheel maneuver right um so what, what we're
1: thinking about here is let's say you need to wheel for a full 90 degrees. Correct. So every um, all
4: these so what I made are these these templates are a 90 degree wheel um with you know the arc from the two what are these what are these things called here? Radiuses? radius radius right. radii. So and I have taken um every possible uh, unit build from Five twenty men or five twenty mil bases, you know, so like a unit of dwarves, up to ten um twenty five mils, like a unit of savage orcs or something mm-hmm. like that, right, so I have a set of templates here, I think it's you know it's a dozen or so that give you every possible um increment in between
1: so it's worth just mentioning that when a when a unit wheels, it counts as moving as far as the Outside for, the, model. the furthest outside model has moved so the bigger the unit gets the wider it gets the the more mm-hmm. uh, in terms of inches that unit is going to have to move to make a 90 degree so wheel. The, the
0: fewer the fewer degrees they can actually move or yeah per inch. Say the converse yeah.
1: the fewer degrees of yeah of wheeling you get per inch of movement
4: yeah and so and that's if you're doing a true wheel where you pin the front corner mm-hmm. that's on the inside of the the wheel and then you're Rotating around that with the other front edge,
1: so give us some numbers because these are a little surprising okay,
4: so just the the normal five man twenty uh mill base of dwarves is actually it's a every um inch is is about almost fifteen degrees on an arc, and that works out to being one two, three, four, five, six, and about an eighth of an inch inches to mm-hmm. do a wheel. So, so with if,
1: your entire if you're dwarfs with your entire march move you can't even wheel you can't I even can't get even 90 degrees can't even get a full,
4: degrees. full 90 degrees. Mm, right. I'm at, I'm at about um 85 87 sure. somewhere in there, right? Um do you know so not even a full a full wheel with right. a unit of dwarfs, right? So and this now- is
1: something you see not necessarily abused on purpose but definitely abused a lot of the time you'll often see people make that full 90 degree wheel
3: with and then move and a then few move more inches like, yeah you know, three yeah. or four I've
1: inches and i've seen you know, they just have players do that they, yeah.
4: they'll actually wheel a full 90 and still go oh I, th- I think i still have another inch because what we often do is we we don't measure we, we don't measure on an arc right we're not measuring thing.
1: each inch at a time of movement yeah. we're kind of moving a corner and being like uh it seems like it went yeah. about three inches.
4: So, and then say it was just a five-man, five-wide unit of 25 mil bases. So, something like what? Um, some Saurus or something. Yeah, some, like a five-man or Soros. five files of Saurus would yeah. be one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, and about three-quarters of an inch. So, they could, with their march,
0: move, forward. move move move
4: forward a full 90 degrees and then about another quarter of an inch. So so
0: really, what what we're saying is um, it, it, that that it's probably a lot lower in terms of the amount of move you can get than you really think. Yeah. Once so you start wheeling,
4: this is where and it goes to illustrate. Yeah, let's that go to the, import- the hordes. Go to the <laughs> hordes because those are, those are
0: the things that really get abused. Yeah, yeah. So
4: you know when most people wheel a horde, they it it almost every time I see somebody do it even yeah. even at the high competitive level they're the wheel and they're pivoting. they're also. basically doing what is a you know a swift reform right um it, it's so seldom do you see somebody really pin and 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 wheel um so say you have a ten ten wide twenty mil so this would be like the dreaded witch witch elf star yeah the, the witch elf star the you Executioner know executionist. star the big horde of um Great swords, whatever you want yeah. to say. So one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, and about three eighths of an inch to do so twelve and a half inches to get ninety degrees to get movement. a ninety degrees. So that if you're you know a movement four, right, you're
0: yeah. only getting a sixty seventy degree turn.
4: Correct if you're march your march yeah. if your march blocked it takes you 3 turns to wheel 90 degrees mm-hmm. so and that you know each inch is only 7.2765 degrees right. you know then you get up here to the big guy the mother which is the 25 mil by 10 sure. count and you're talking 2 4 6 8 10 12 14 15 and a half inches to yep. wheel that unit Take those musicians, years. guys. Yeah, guys so who like their big hordes. so if you want to actually maneuver the way that most people maneuver, you need to start doing the swift You need to swift yeah. reform and then move. And um, I'm gonna I'm gonna try and make some PDFs of these. Yeah. I don't ever expect people to really use them, right? But I want people to just be aware of them. So and see it, we're and, not
1: like trying to call people out, but people are gonna like perceive how good a sportsman you are based on whether they think you're abusing things like this. And you might be abusing them even without really know- knowing it. So, it, you know, everyone should try and be mindful of this kind of stuff when they play. Well, yeah.
0: the other neat thing is like, if I had one of these, I mean, I play Wood Elf MSU and, and uh, almost always the only ranked up units that I have are clay guard. I play five wide. Right. And so having just one for that particular unit, And that I can throw down and say, "Oh, can I wheel, or do I have to reform?" Mm -hmm. That's a useful game aid to me, yeah, right. Um, And and I think there are probably other people who would be like that. You know, it's like uh, because I'd much rather wheel and not take the risk of the swift reform test failing and then not being able to shoot.
1: Sometimes this is going to end up Mm. being way more efficient to. To do that swift reform yeah in terms I mean, of total inches you actually get to move
0: i swift reform all the time yeah. i mean all of my Guard take musicians um but but once i get outside of that uh that reroll range you know <laughs> then it becomes uh you know mm-hmm. there's one in four of those uh fails on leadership eight and uh and i'm like oh now i can't shoot right. right and i would much rather know well could i have wheeled instead yeah right um so so i i would probably take one of those if i had one yeah and and yeah if
1: you have particular unit sizes that you use all the time yeah exactly or you could even make make some that have just instead of those lines going all the way up to there just have different sets of of dots along it to show different unit sizes and stuff yeah Yeah, for sure for sure okay well i think that wraps up uh the art of war thanks for lots of different types of math hammer there yeah Mm -hmm. exactly
0: um and and ultimately, you can use as much or as little of it as as increases your enjoyment of the game. Um, for me, I I I find that that the more I know about how likely I am to win the combat ahead, the happier I am. <laughs> That's nervous because then I can blame that. the dice whenever it's yeah. whenever it's not my fault. <laughs> sure. um, all right, so I think that wraps that up.
4: Just roll six dice. <laughs> <laughs> That's Ricky's motto. Yeah
2: oversized meatball
0: okay so i think that brings us to the end of uh episode five um it's been a long episode but uh, i think um we've had a, a a bunch of good content so thanks for sticking around for all of it um we'll be back in a couple of weeks with uh some more dimensional cascade um and
1: will be smiting uh, Sigvald the Magnificent.
0: Well, we'll hmm. see. We'll see. Oh, I man. I don't want to be rolling for Sigvald, I'll tell you that much. Hmm. Somebody else can do that. I feel a bit a little bit tainted if I was. We'll, we'll those get those Taylor days. in here, and he'll, yeah, he'll he'll quite happily roll for yeah, Slanish. Yeah. Um. And uh, if there's if there's anyone that you would like to see in the in the pit, please let us know. Um. You can reach us on Twitter, um, at uh, at Cascade Podcast um you can also reach us via the forums um we have and as
1: always we're looking for good suggestions for the art of war and yep. for the hobby sections so yep and and so
0: yeah if if you if you guys don't suggest stuff uh, we're just going to make stuff up <laughs> <laughs> um uh yeah please join us on the forums you can also get us at um uh, podcast at dot if you want to email us anything and uh, i think about that about wraps it up any any parting thoughts from anyone
4: um yeah if people know of tournaments in alaska (laughs) get a a hold of Ada. that would be good oh interestingly
0: i uh, I have a guy on the u.s on the wargamers usa which is the u.s masters forum Mm -hmm. who has reached out to me to say what do i need to do to get this going and uh, as a qualifier in alaska i'm like let's talk cool so awesome i hope we can get one up there wouldn't
4: that be fun to take a a cruise cruise? yeah a cruise (laughs) up to Alaska (laughs) Warhammer
0: on the cruise and then Warhammer when you get there yeah Yeah, yeah, that would be pretty awesome
1: all the wives and girlfriends will be like look at this amazing scenery out here like look at this amazing scenery on (laughs) the table (laughs) (laughs) All right.
0: I I think we've jumped the shark time to rev it up Bye. 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 bye